Today is Wednesday, May 31st, 2023, and you're listening to the Ask a Christian podcast. I'm your host, Nate. Woo! Yeah! Anyway, um, let's see. Some good discussions today. Check out check out all the way to the end. Don't fast forward. God will know. Um, but the, the discussion we, we just left, oh, it was, it was really good, um, I thought. So, we start off talking about, do you need to know the name of Jesus to be saved? How litigious do we need to be? There's only one name under heaven men can be saved by, that is Jesus. Jesus says he's the way, the truth, and the light. No one comes to the Father except through him. So does that mean we need to just know the name Jesus in English, J-E-S-U-S? Do we need to know the name Jesus in another language? Or do we do we need to maybe, I don't know, somehow, um, think about it for a minute, you can come up with an, a scenario, somehow know everything about Jesus, yet not, not speak his name audibly, even though the Bible says confess uh, with your mouth and believe in your heart Jesus is raised from Jesus is Lord and you'll be saved. Um, what, what if we don't have that chance? What if someone can't speak? I mean, I know it's ridiculous, but, you know, that's where these questions go. So we're, we're not talking what would we normally say. Of course, we're going to say the name of Jesus, there's power in the name of Jesus, we're going to give the full gospel presentation. But, as we always do, and by we, I mean those who do, um, we like to go down to the absolute bare minimum um, for some reason. God help us. So, if, if someone, I don't know, can't speak Jesus, are they saved, or are they damned to hell because they can't profess Jesus as Lord? Because um, they can't speak, or don't have vocal cords, or a mouth, I don't know. Um, no, clearly not. No, just no. And it's like, well, the Bible says, okay, well, know the intent of the author. If you ask the, the author the same thing, I'm sure they would say the same thing. Oh, if someone legit can't speak, no, it's by Jesus. You know Jesus. That's who you're saved. So, no, I, I think there's one name under heaven men are saved. Yes. So when the person dies and, uh, you know, Jesus is like, uh, why should I let you into heaven? You know, you couldn't speak my name. It's like, you're the one. You're the one. That's the way I'm getting getting saved is by you. Just because I couldn't say your name audibly or didn't hear your name audibly or something like that. Um, you're the guy we're talking about. Anyway, taxation is theft. <laughs> Someone brings up a political point about, um, it's not usually, uh, it's not exactly where it goes usually politically. Um, so if, if you are averted have an aversion to politics. It's not not really that. It's just a quick thing about taxation. And um, I actually forget the context. <laughs> You'll have to listen. Can God laugh? Can you make God laugh? Well, people say, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. <laughs> um, that's why you should say, Lord willing, perhaps. Like in the Bible, they say, Lord willing, this will happen or this be done. Um, but can God laugh? Uh, music <laughs> revolving around country rap and the apocalypse. So, uh, yeah, check out some, some music conversation. We go through um, satanic music uh, and the satanic panic of, like, the 90s, maybe late 80s, early 90s. And, uh, you know, is, is music more satanic if they say lyrics that are satanic or if they say lyrics that are not really anything to do with Satan or anything like that, but they're having covens of witches, like, blessing bless their album release parties um, or, like, doing weird occult rituals. Like, we're finding out about, like, you know, different people in Hollywood and things like that. Like, that's that's equal to or more creepy, probably more creepy than saying like, I don't know, shout at the devil or something. And then substitution, uh, substitutionary penal atonement. Um, we talked about that. Someone asked about which, uh, what was their question? You're going to have to listen. It, it was a long discussion, but whatever their question was evoked that it was like, which, um, which, uh, which thing do you think is right? I forget how they worded it. You'll have to hear. But we talk about that a lot, and then it gets to, um, you know, the Christians, we're kind of talking to non-Christians, um, atheists, and actually a Satanist. Um, 
about, you know, they don't think it's fair that Jesus would have had to die. Why would another person have to die if they do the crime, they want to do the time? I'm like, well, don't be a Christian then, and you will you will do justice, um, which is hell. So, you know, you should be a Christian. You should follow Christ. Let him pay the price. He's already died on the cross. All you got to do is be like, yes, I confess your Lord. I repent. I will believe the gospel. I will follow you. Save me. Make me born again. Forgive me of these sins. Um, I would like your sacrifice uh, to count for me. So you should definitely do that. However, uh, just like Joshua 24, 15 says, if it's evil for you to serve the Lord, if you don't like the idea of someone else paying for you, I would argue you have an incredibly um, inadequate understanding of the full ramifications and, and weight of what you're saying. Um, and you have a huge misunderstanding of it, and that needs to be rectified quick on this side of life. Nonetheless, if it is evil in your eyes to serve the, uh, the Lord, or you'd rather serve someone else or yourself or nothing else, um, then don't serve this God. And you want justice, you're going to get it. But I guarantee it's not what you want. Um, anyway, so that's where we go, and that's where the conversation is. It's actually a good conversation about it. Um, so take care. Enjoy this podcast. Please share this description. This description. Share the link. Share the links with everyone. Social media. That would be great. Thanks for your help. Thanks for your support. Check out the Ask a Christian book available on Amazon. Check out the Ask a Christian store. Grab a t-shirt. Support the cause. And you can also donate. The link is in the description. All these links are in the podcast description. And you can donate to help keep us going and sharing the gospel with people of the internet. Like we actually did a pretty reasonable job of today. It wasn't all just like deep uh, philosophical nonsense. Um, the gospel was talked about. So um, go team Jesus. Everyone take care. Have an awesome whatever day this is. Wednesday. Bye. Westminster Confession of Faith says, you know, that all elect infants dying in their infancy are, are going to be saved. And all people who are not unable to be outwardly called who are elect are, are going to be saved as well. And that would apply to like a tribe and on the other side of the world, you know, that can't know the name of Jesus Christ. And I wrote a gospel track about Helen Keller and it was from her own testimony. You know, she got sick where she got blind and deaf and mute and everything when she was under two. And by her own testimony, she says that uh, she believed in God but until she learned language, she didn't find out what his name is. So uh, God went out of his way to go ahead and, and save that woman because there's no other name given under heaven by which men must be saved. Well, what you just said about the Westminster Confession, which I, I don't like confessions. I mean, if they get something right and I happen to agree, then wonderful. But I don't, I don't put a whole lot of stock in you know, the, the brilliance of men. A, a group of men that there can be other brilliant groups of men. Um, I, I just don't. But what you said, like, you know, even if they're elect, it sounded like you said the Westminster Confession says, you know, they're going to be saved. It sounded like you alluded to they didn't need to know necessarily the name of Jesus or speak the name of Jesus, which would kind of lend credence to what I said, because the Bible said it, that, you know, if someone is saved, it is only by Jesus, which goes back to the original argument. Does someone is someone only saved by speaking the name of Jesus or knowing the name of Yeshua Hamashiach, or is it just like they're like I know there's a God I I just I know it I feel it I sense it and you know I just know it I can't quite put my finger on it um, but it's a it's a Creator God the God of the universe um, and then you know they die and Jesus is like yeah that's me it's by me you're saved I'm the only way you're saved and they're like yes that's what I've known the whole time I just didn't know J E S U S um, 
Yeah, that's anyway. uh, one thing that uh, – one of the last things that the Calvins were arguing. See, we're evangelicals. We believe there's, that you have to be saved through the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it's, it was nice to hear them defend uh, – you know, justification through faith alone. And so uh, basically that's another Calvinist argument is that like an infant dying in their infancy would uh, be born again. You know, they would be able to spiritually discern the things of God and, uh, the you know, they would be inwardly called and then they would hear the gospel in their infancy and through God, God's miraculous uh, grace you know they would be able to understand it even then dying in their infancy they would still need a gospel of some sort and you know since the church has established that there's no other name given under heaven by men which by which men must be saved you know they would know that uh, the name of their savior as helen keller says she went on to learn if she would have died when she got sick as a toddler uh and never heard the name of Jesus Christ, I believe, you know, she would have been inwardly called before she died and she would be able, had been able to spiritually discern the things of God and understood the gospel of the spirit, the gospel of Jesus Christ that the spirit would pay, preach to her before. That he, sounds uh, like you're saying the same thing I'm saying. Exactly. Like, so yeah, I mean, when it goes to no other name under heaven by which men can be saved, there's only one name. Well, yeah, that's, that's the name of Jesus. Does someone need to to hear that and to say that? Again, we're talking worst case scenario, right? Of course, we're going to tell Jesus all day long and like you know share the gospel all day long. But to the person who has lives on a desert island somewhere, um, do they have to speak the name of Jesus? Do they have to know the name of Jesus, even though they are being saved under the name of Jesus? That that's the thing, right? No one knows, right? God is the judge. So no matter what we think, God, I mean, God is the best one suited for this because you know He is the best judge. So whatever the right answer is. That's the best guy for the job. Yeah. Well, it all started with me uh, telling people I could prove that unconditional election is true because, you know, people who are unable to be outwardly called who uh, go to heaven have to be unconditionally let if they are, you know, unable to be called by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Well, uh, Good morning, Michael. How is this conversation finding you? Uh, interesting. Um, I appreciate, I very much appreciate the concession that people can be wrong. Um, it's not something I hear enough. I'm always willing to, to, you know, to make the uh, concession that I could be wrong about stuff, right? That, you know, that a God could exist and all that other stuff. And no problem. So it's really refreshing, actually, to hear that kind of um, concession. One of the problems that I see is that because of the mutually exclusive claims made by so many different faith traditions, um, one of these Christopher Hitchens said in one of the discussions once, he said, he said, because of those, they can't all be right. At best, one can be right. But given the extraordinary nature of the claims, it's more likely that they're all wrong. That's where I fall. Um, but again, I'm, I'm thrilled to, you know, to, to hear the concession. And I guess one of, I guess one question that I would have is, uh, which could be difficult, um, given, um, 
given kind of the, in some ways, pervasive uh, nature of faith traditions, depending on where you are, has anyone on stage ever considered or been tempted by or been even provoked to question their faith based on another faith tradition that they were exposed to? Um, so I let me answer the Christopher Hitchens piece be upon him uh, first. The the where there's so many answers that you know they they it's more likely they're all wrong. I mean academia would just say no to that. Like my empirical evidence would be academia. Like you know if you get some advanced tests and they say like you know what twelve or fifteen questions and one is the right answer because usually multiple choice is like A B C D or whatever. Um, but if they do like twelve or fifteen, well I mean there's a lot of possibilities. What's more likely that one of them out of all of these is right or that they're all wrong? Well, according to Hitchens, it's more likely they're all wrong. Obviously, very apparently, that's not the case. It's a test. One of them is right. So could the teacher be tricking you? I guess. Um, but no, one of those will be right. So, I mean, that, that I, I would just hand wave that away, except saying that. Um, peace be upon him, uh, wherever he finds himself. But to the other one, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I've had, you could say I've questioned my faith over my life, um, but it was more like, yeah, it wasn't like a crisis of faith where people are like, I'm deconstructing my faith. Um, like, I never really, I, I questioned it, but I didn't question long because it was just like, you know, within myself or my spirit or soul or whatever non-weird way you you can you can understand that. Um, I, I mean, if I was being honest with myself, I'm like, I can't question it for long. I'm like, oh, you know, that's a good point. I mean, a lot more, especially, goodness, when this started, like, you know, when people would say stuff about like uh, Islam or, or something like that, and I'm like, it, it was more like, you know, the veracity of their claims. I'm like, oh, well, let me check into that. Like, maybe, uh, you know, maybe we're not so different. Um, you know, maybe there's something to this. And I mean, you know, it did not take long to be like, oh, no, they were like either outright lying to me, or they were just like, you know, being incredibly deceptive and twisting stuff around. So even even either because they didn't understand what they were doing, or because they're intentionally being deceptive. Yeah. So um, after after a little bit of that, like I, and it's like I never was like, no, God does not exist because I I mean I just would be dishonest to do that. Like I was, it was apparent to me that if I tried to be like, no, God doesn't exist, or no, it's a it's a wrong God, um, I would just be lying to myself. I could not shake that God feeling. Uh, but it was more like, well, you know, is there something I can garner from these other faiths? Um, Judaism, I mean, no, never much. Um, surprisingly, the stuff that should be closest to Christ, Judaism, um, was the least um, the least of a stumbling block. Because I'm just like, no, it's so apparent from Christ that Judaism, even though it's like the same God, the same history, going back to the Israelites and everything, um, you would think there would be more overlap but it's really dividing at Christ. So it's like, once I'm like, no, Christ is it. I can't shake this or I'd be lying. So, so what do I do with Judaism? Well, we're not under the law. It's very apparent. Like nothing in me says we're under the law. I'm not, I'm not a Jew. Uh, but then Islam, you know, because I was unfamiliar with it more than Judaism. Um, yeah. A lot of the things they would say, I can't remember off the top of my head, but things that they would weave um, their web sounded pretty. I'm like, wow, well, maybe there is some sort of like brotherhood here. Um, and then very, very quickly, I'm like, oh, wow, yeah, that couldn't be more wrong. So that, that's about as close to questioning my faith. Um, you know, like I said, when my teen years, I looked at some other, like, philosophies and stuff. Like, you know, I checked into, like, like what, Wicca and one of the isms. I don't remember which one. I don't know if it's Buddhism or Taoism or one of the isms. And, it, 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 I mean, I don't even know which ones they call religion or not. I know Buddhism, Buddhism they don't say is a religion. 
but whatever it was, um, I'm like, okay, well, there's not a lot here. It's a lot of fluff in my humble opinion. I'm like, it's just a bunch of like kind of vapid philosophy and like common sense stuff. Like, you know, people will say, well, I don't need the Bible for the golden rule. I don't need the Bible to know how to treat people. Well, yeah, but that's not what the Bible's primarily for. It's about going from spiritually dead to spiritually alive. Um, but that, I mean, I got that same feeling from this other stuff. I'm like, I don't need some, you know, like thousand year old guy from across the world to tell me how to do this. Like it's common sense. I get it. So I don't, I don't need this anyway. Uh, yeah, that's, that's the closest I ever had to questioning my sincerely held God beliefs. Uh, that's interesting. Although Nate, I got to tell you, you kind of provoked an eye roll from there <clears throat> um, because um, I, I only, I only ever, uh, I did do some teaching, but it was for a very, very short period of time. And I, it was, I found it very frustrating. So I left it quickly. Um, <laughs> but I wonder what the ethical implications would be of having a multiple choice question, unless one of the options was none of the above. Uh, I wonder what the ethical implications would be of having 15 choices, but none of them actually being correct on a test. So I think unless you are, so un unless that, you know, unless, you know, this group of people had the choice to pick what none of the above as one of the answers, then I don't think that your criticism of what Christopher Hitchens said would follow. Um, sure, add none of the above. Well, yeah. So, yeah. So, so if, if we, if we had none of the above, then I think um, it, then I think the point I made stands in that it's, it's, it's possible, especially given, one, the mutually exclusive claims and the, the incompatible, like the, the absolute incompatibility of some of these claims. Um, and, and not necessarily just from the big three, right? Because you could probably find compatible things between Judaism and Christianity. You might even, I haven't, I haven't done a, a cross-reference kind of thing, but you might even be able to find some parallels within Islam as well. Maybe. I don't know. I'll leave that to, I'll leave that to the scholars. Um, but you certainly fall outside of that if you look deeply at Christianity and then look at things like, you know, well, Mormonism, right, which is one of my favorite, you know, or Jehovah's Witnesses, right, because some of the claims they make are just not compatible with um, traditional biblical Christianity. So, but and anyway, I appreciate the, the view. And, and brother, I'd be curious to hear if, if you ever had a wavering of, uh, of faith or perhaps uh, considered an alternate uh, hypothesis. And real fast, brother, um, hang on, just to clarify, or just to you know, reiterate, remember the part where you said, I appreciate the concession that you know, we could be wrong. Um, what we were quibbling about was complete, like secondary soteriology doctrine. So not about Jesus. I mean, you know, I mean, in the interest of never saying never, sure, my whole life could be a lie. Um, so there's your concession, but no, um, it's already, a sound, no, me, Nate, it's already yeah. a sound like, too late. It's already okay. Well, like you said, with the multiple choice quiz, uh, you know, if you, if you lack integrity, then do what you will with the clip. Uh, but I, I know you're better <laughs> anyways. So it was about a uh, secondary non salvation, just doctrines, but yeah, go ahead, brother. Have you ever questioned your God? Yeah, I agree whatever with him. Nate, you know, it's just, uh, that was just secondary issue, you know? But uh, no, I haven't never really uh, quivered of it. When after I first got saved, you know, I, I asked myself, what if this isn't really true and everything? And so uh, and then I found a verse in the Bible that said that he who promised is faithful. And then it was like instantly, you know, of course, I have to have faith and everything. But, you know, it's the 
the object of your faith that really matters and that, you know, he's going to, Jesus is going to go the extra mile to, to keep me saved. You know, it's really up to him. And I didn't waver anymore after that, you know, that whenever my trust is in the Lord, you know, he's trustworthy. I know I'm not trustworthy you know, I'd lose my salvation in a heartbeat. Chris, good morning. Chris, your faith ever waver? You ever consider another, uh, another than Christianity? Yes. Yes. Not since he was elected. Well, I guess it's silly to ask, right? Because Chris doesn't have a choice, right? <laughs> well, as my uh, Christianity's grown and everything, you learn more reasons to believe and stuff. And uh, I've come to understand that, you know, in argumentation, you know, a negative argument can't uh, dismiss a positive argument. And if there's a par positive argument for the uh, truth of the Bible, you know, then you know, the God of the Bible exists, you know, say, for instance, his fulfilled prophecy and things like that. That's mainly what all Isaiah 53 is all about is fulfilled prophecy. But, you know, there are many, many, many fulfilled prophecies. Uh, you can go ahead and, and trust that the uh, Bible is true and that uh, Jesus is God and that, you know, if you're not saved, you are going to go to hell. I, I want to be. I want to make sure I didn't misunderstand what you said, because it couldn't possibly be that you said, if a positive case is laid out, then it's the responsibility of someone else to provide or defeat her for it. Otherwise, your belief is justified. Like you didn't say that, did you? Yeah. If uh, there's a positive case for the Bible being true, you know, my faith is justified uh, because of uh, of the truth. Okay, so then how? So that so then you would have to be. Otherwise, you'd be, um, you'd be incredibly fallacious. You you would have to be pre prepared to grant the same concession for every other faith tradition, in in order yeah, to be exactly. consistent in what you just said. Well, before exactly. we get too far down this road, wouldn't it be like you were talking about like what, like something like 400, 430 prophecies from Isaiah? But let's be generous. Just let's just say like ten. So if there's like ten prophecies he lays out, like the only like this is never going to happen in in a way that's satisfactory to both sides, because that would mean like okay, he's like okay, here's a prophecy in Isaiah, and here's the fulfillment in the New Testament. So that's the positive case. There was a prophecy made, prophecy kept, and uh, then the defeater would be someone would have to go back through and find some kind of script and disprove it and say it was fabricated or forged in a way that, you know, basically you'd have to prove it from historical writing. So no one is going to, to concede, I don't think, and be like, okay, so the Christian will be like, this is totally true. These writings are totally valid. Therefore, Jesus fulfilled the prophecies. And then the, the other person, they're like, they're not going to have anywhere to go except, well, it's your text, it's your Bible, and this is why it's forged or this is why it's incorrect. Therefore, the prophecy wasn't done. So there's no way to empirically prove one way or another. So everyone's just going to be at a perpetual standmate, stalemate. Well, yeah, but one of the problems is, is that, is that I mean, there, there have been, and it's, it's something I've, I've been doing a little bit of reading on recently, actually somewhat provoked by Chris's recommendation of his book, Cold Cake, Cold Cake Christianity, which, Chris, I have finished now, so I'd like to, have a, like to set up a talk with you at some point on that. Um, but um, 
So, for example, it, it's, it isn't really, um, like among the scholarly consensus, it's not really disputed that not all of the Pauline epistles were authored by Paul, right? Um, and so there's one example. So if you, if you have, a, if you have a, a, a critical example, right, of Paul who wrote, you know, an overwhelming majority of the New Testament, um, and some of the writings attributed to him, turns out, aren't attributed to him, that can certainly call into question the validity of See, other that's what I'm talking the about there, well. Michael. If, uh, you know, you have a positive argument that the Bible is true, such as fulfilled prophecy, then someone offers a negative argument that, you know, not all the epistles of Paul may be written by Paul. This argument doesn't dis dismiss the positive argument that uh, the Bible contains fulfilled prophecy. No, but it does uh, call it into question. Calling well, it in question is fine. It's just sweeping it under the rug, which is the problem. Oh, it's not sweet. That, that's uh, that, that, that's guys, incredibly dismissive. That's incredibly can you give me, dismissive. Can you give yeah, me one go, second? Because what I what I predicted was about to happen is, is going to happen, and we can talk about this for a long time. But real quick, I just wanted to check in with uh, Yvette uh, to see if they had a, a quicker question. Because, um, you know, not a prophet. But that's exactly what's happening. Now we're going to get into like text and Chris will bring out some dusty tome and be like, you say Paulian letters weren't written by Paul, but here's evidence of the contrary. And then you'll get something and then Dr. Josh will come up with something and this so on it goes. Um, but I would just say, you know, even if granted uh, we grant all Paulian letters were not uh, written by Paul. Well, great. That has nothing to do with the prophecies made. And for example, Isaiah and the prophecies fulfilled in like Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. Like that is totally irrelevant to Paul, and you can't say, well, if Paul's in question, the whole book's in question, because they're all independent writings. So you'd have to negate specifically the prophecy in like Isaiah or Jeremiah, and then the corresponding fulfillment in one of the New Testament Gospels, which is independent of Paul and completely independent works. But real fast, uh, so make your notes. We can we can do this, and maybe I, maybe I will call myself a prophet. I don't know. Just kidding. But Yvette, yeah, you came to stage. I wanted to see if you had anything to to say or a, a quick question. Because this is going to take a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, my curiosity gets the best of me. So I was wondering what would happen if Jesus hadn't fulfilled all the laws of Moses and just went straight to dying on the cross for our sins and then resurrecting? Like what would be like, how would that? I mean, like, I'm just curious. Like, yeah. Yeah. So, so if that happened, Michael would have a great case against Christianity. Everyone that wanted to be a Christian detractor would have a great case because if he who knew no sin actually knew some sin, um, then then there there would be no sacrifice. Like he would be just like us. He wouldn't be God. Um, if everything else said to that point was true, um, may, maybe the universe would deconstruct and implode. Uh, That's so what I was if, say. if one of those, yeah. So if one of those points was incorrect and Jesus knew sin like somehow sinned, then we wouldn't be having this conversation because the universe would just be exploded. But that would make, if we still live somehow, and that was just how the story went, like, well, Jesus did some sin, well, then, yeah, Michael would win this argument that he's having with brother right now. Okay. <laughs> that is your question. Yeah, it does. Thank you. All right, brother and Michael and Chris and Marquise, you guys uh, continue. Well, no, I mean, we, no, we certainly, I mean, we can just, you know, the whole thing started, you know, like it, it all depends where you want to let this go. Um, I'm content. I'm just driving to a, a few things right now. have a bit of time. 
I'll be in and out a bit, but I mean, I'm happy to kind of talk about whatever everybody wants to talk about. Well, you can give me a compliment on my uh, dog. <laughs> There's a little bit of glare. I can't see my phone right now. Oh, he's got shoes on. I got him his doggy Crocs. Oh, my. Basically, yeah. just my point would be like if there was only one positive proof for the Bible, but there's 10 negative arguments against the Bible, the 10 is not a democracy which outvotes the one. The one vote always remains a positive vote for the other side, and it remains true. Well, no, and, and, and that's, a, that's, a, that's an interesting point you make. Like, it is possible. Like, okay, so let's, okay, I'm going to put on my hat of charitability plus five. Um, assuming that um, God exists, and I'll be even more charitable, your particular one, um, and, the, and the, the Bible is inspired by God, but written by fallible people, um, let's say that there are a couple of inconsistencies within the Bible. It wouldn't necessarily follow that that the over that the overarching story or intent of the Bible is therefore false. It, that wouldn't follow. And while I am convinced that that is the case, I'm certainly not the type of atheist who will say, you know, you know, no, absolutely not, no possible way, blah 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 blah. I do believe that's the case when it comes to the Christian God, but. But like I said, it's it's it wouldn't be it wouldn't be reasonable for me to make you know that that type of assertion. But it does for me. Like when you when you see a book that is written, and it has things in it that do not comport with the reality that we experience. These are issues for me personally. I'm not saying that they are rock solid. I'm not saying that they are um, case closers. But it's certainly reason enough for me to come to the conclusions that I've come to. So, Michael, if you want a paper, and I apologize, it's fairly lengthy. But if you want a paper on Pauline authorship, I can send it to you. Told you. <laughs> yeah, sure. So, yeah, I, I, yeah. I'd, be, I'd be curious. It, it does I mean, there's, I, so there's exactly zero conservative scholars that question Pauline authorship. There's, okay, what about the what, okay, what about There's tons of liberal. Okay. But what about consensus of scholarship? I Taking could both fields less. into account. Wait, well, consensus, consensus of Christian scholars unanimous. No. Consen no, con <laughs> no, consensus of scholarship in general. So so liberal, right. conservative, believing and non-believing. What is well, the then no consensus? consensus? Right, oh, there no, is no consensus. Uh, I'm not convinced of that. So, uh, but uh, but I'm very curious to see your paper, Chris. And I, hey, look, if if I if I can read, I, I'm now about 55 pages into this opath thing. Um, if if I can take the time to read that pile of feces, then I can certainly take some time to read uh, your your paper on uh, Pauline. Uh, although I'm probably not qualified to evaluate it, but I'll certainly read it. It's it's well, written for a well, Oh, good. Then then, I'll, then I might get it. It should be fairly easy to establish the, the consensus question. Like if you have a liberal theologian or scholar saying, um, you know, it's not Paul, and you have a conservative one saying it definitely is, there's no question. I mean, it will be fairly quick to establish there is no consensus. <laughs> well, that, that, that right. could be interesting homework for somebody right. who's and not the, driving and, like I am. Right, and the, and the other thing is that <clears throat> in academia, 
liberal scholarship outnumbers conservative scholarship like 50 to 1. I mean, so when we say, oh, the consensus is X, what we really mean to say is the secular academia says X, whereas people who actually study the stuff, theologians who are in conservative institutions, they all say unanimously something else. So you, you can't really blend the two scholarships together and be like, well, you know, there's 50 Dr. Josh's versus, you know, one um, Dr. Say, you know, I mean, it's just like, okay, cool. Like, yeah, there's lots of, there's lots of secular scholars out there. Okay. okay so what if we, okay. So what if we um, eliminated um, atheists and eliminated theologians and looked at something like, uh, you know, because we're talking about, we're talking about books from antiquity. So what if we looked at just historians? Well, it's not really their field because what you're talking about there is textual criticism. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's yeah. My, my mistake. What if we just looked at textual critics? So you're going to 95% of your textual critics are coming from an atheist and a, um, non-believing sense and you've got five percent that are coming from a believing sense so you're never going to have this will conservative scholarship is but it sounds it, it sounds it just sounds very conspiratorial that well if they don't believe then you know of course they're not going to come to the conclusion i like it would be it would be equally um uncharitable for me to say oh well if you're only going to talk to theologians oh well they already believe so we can't trust them well i guess a better way to make the case is like there there's we are claiming there's no way to rule out your bias so like in science you know people may have a bias but they may be able to suppress it for the true knowledge that science will reveal i guess the claim at least i would be comfortable making is people are unwilling or unable to do that in theology, because that means if they, uh, you know, if they stipulate, depending exactly what we're talking about, maybe not the following letters, but like if they're willing to stipulate some things about the Bible are true, that they're saying are not true, if they were to stipulate that and put aside their bias, that means they would basically have to convert and be a Christian, which they are not going to do. Unless they are, then they will. Now they're a Christian. So I guess if that's the claim that I'm, I feel comfortable making saying that's why like they are unwilling or unable to get rid of their bias in this field because if they did it would uh, there's a lot of feedback coming through michael oh, because sorry. if because if they did then they would basically have to convert um whereas like science they may just have to convert to oh well now my opinion's different on, or now my belief on this is different because science told me so not a big deal it's not a life-shifting thing versus if they did that for for the stuff we're talking about it could lead to yeah if if i recognize this is true um, now I basically have to change my entire life and, you know, fall on my face before the God of the Bible. And I'm unwilling to do that. So, and, and, and there might be people, there might be people for that, you know, for, you know, the, where that is the case, right? And is it impossible to eliminate your bias? No. And I think it would be ignorant um, and ridiculous to think you can eliminate your bias. That's why I was very careful in saying, you know, bring, bring together believing non-believing you know so you know so let's let's walk the you know let's let's run the gamut atheist believing and and agnostic right so now we have a spectrum of experts 
right? Because can you eliminate your bias? No, but it doesn't seem that far-fetched to say we can limit our bias by doing something uh, as broad as what I'm suggesting. But, and, but and the problem... Quick, uh, oh, sorry. Uh, well, go ahead, Chris, and then I wanted to uh, address Necro because they said they had a question. So, I mean, yeah, this so is the topic of the day. We will keep coming back to it, but intermittently I'd like to check on new people. So go ahead, Chris, and then we'll get to Necro Pesto. So the problem with modern scholars is that they're starting from presuppositions of this is not true, and so therefore we will X. Um, and that is taught throughout the generations of scholars, unless you're going to a uh, believing graduate school, right? And so that is why there is this wide gulf between liberal secular scholars and conservatives is simply, it's not because the conservative arguments aren't any good. It's just that the two sides don't interact with each other because they stopped interacting with each other a hundred years ago. And so when you say, hey, we're going to produce these textual critics that are, you know, learning from Bart Ehrman, you know, you've got Bart Ehrman teaching, you know, at North Carolina textual criticism, which is fine. And Bart Ehrman is a fine textual critic. Um, but he's also teaching his bias into that. And all of those students are going to come or not all, but most of those students are going to come out mirroring his bias. And so now you've gone from one guy who's teaching misquoting Jesus to 95 guys that are teaching misquoting Jesus. Um, and so that continues to multiply that way. And then the people that go all the way back to academia are continuing to, you know, push forward those narratives because that's what they learned, you know? And so there's just, that is why the two sides do not interact. They don't write papers to each other that often um, because it's just the, the presuppositions are seen as too widely far apart to even have a conversation. And let's put a pin in that real fast. Necker, you said you had a question. What's up? Um, yeah, I just mainly had a question. Um, I, I don't know if you've heard. Um, I was wanting to know if you've heard of um, Greg Boyd. Uh, yeah, he actually went to school with Bart Ehrman. Every time Bart Ehrman comes up, I always think about how they could both go to Princeton's School of Divinity, and Ehrman comes out, well, Ehrman, and Boyd comes out to be, you know, a great, uh, or, you know, like a very devout Christian theologian, and they had <laughs> essentially the same schooling. Yeah. I was just asking because, like, I mean, Greg Boyd, um, I would say, if I were to ever consider myself, uh, you know, uh in my life ever becoming Christian again. I mean, to me, I think probably Greg Boyd's um, interpretation of um, the Bible, I think, probably is the one I think um, the one that makes the most sense, I would say. Um, I mean, I, I have read a lot of his... Um, how about that, Chris? I actually know a theologian. <laughs> um, anyway. This is quite um, shocking to me, actually. But, but I don't remember who how I came across him, but maybe it was... I, I have no idea. But anyways, I actually I actually did an interview with him a long time ago because I was interested about one of his books. So back in the day, I, I've got like a 30-minute interview I did with uh, Boyd about some stuff. Anyways, but um, yeah, so I, I read a lot of his stuff. I haven't kept up with the newer stuff. I think he may have kind of branched in a way that um, I don't want to judge because I haven't read it, but I, I may not totally agree with it. But the, the past stuff, like, you know, explaining kind of like um, the problem of evil and things like that. Like, I, I think he had a lot of kind of out-of-the-box, like, interesting takes um, so yeah, I mean, I, I, I like Boyd. I, I haven't kept up with him in recent years. Um, so yeah. I don't, I don't know if he's still on the straight and narrow, but, um, yeah, I, I know I, I quite liked him back in the day. Yeah. 
I mean, mainly I think one of the things I think probably uh, to me, I think his um his view of things like um I guess um like I think most people, especially that's been taken a long while, is the idea of you know sovereignty, and I guess really to me it's like the idea of a being who is of like because one of the things he advocates that's probably the most controversial um would be his view known as open theism where god is open to the possibility of different futures that happen necessarily um and so like i just thought about like you know if that were the case it would be something that you know i thought would be the most consistent i think with the idea of choice Yeah, I mean, open theism is problematic for a bunch of other reasons, but I feel you. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I'm not a big fan of Boyd, um, yeah. you know, so. I mean, I also I really, I, I will just say, I mean, one of the other things, like, personally, it just may just be my, my bias, but I mean, uh, I happen to agree with him a lot on, like, you know, ethics. I mean, he's uh, specifically on... Um, like he's a vegetarian like I am and he also um is the club a... is growing, Chris. What? I said the club is growing. I actually didn't know that about him. Yeah, and he's also a fan of uh can't remember. Anyways, I I just really like I don't know, he just seems like a guy like, you know, I could definitely uh enjoy talking to, definitely. Yeah, I mean it's it's been years since I've I've um you know read anything or thought about him, but I, I did really like um I I mean if you want like maybe you've read some of his books that I have, but um I would definitely recommend some. I don't I mean I don't know about the open theism thing, but um some of his takes about yeah like the problem of evil and a couple other things I can't remember right now, but I I really enjoyed um his kind of out of the box way of looking at some things that I like to think even Chris would be like that's fine. <laughs> yeah, it was his book. Uh, I think the book you're referring to where he deals with like the problem of evil was his uh the one he wrote to his father, um, which was dealing with like the um where he was uh, encountering a lot of the questions that his father had down in the Christian faith. Um, that sounds familiar, yeah. And so but the one I think if you want to know like his view on like, you know, omniscience, I think the book is called um uh, God of the Possible, and he's he's written quite another, a few other books. Like he's, it was another book, uh, what it was called, like um, uh, where he was um, encountering the view of Christian nationalism, because he's, it's one thing he's been known for um, is his opposition to the idea that you know uh, America needs or the. Christianity needs to impose itself on politics, mainly. Hmm. Those well, are real... Okay, yeah, so it's been, it's been some time since I've heard anything from him. I know he was, whenever I, I talked to him for a while um, on, on Cooper Plus, I know he was writing a book called Death of a Warrior God. I don't know anything about it, but I think it was about how he was, he was trying to make the case that the God of the Old Testament um, you know, was more palatable than people like to, you know, like to say, like, you know, why it seems so doom and gloom versus the New Testament. I think he was trying to bridge that gap, but I, I mean, he was still writing it and I'd never read it. So maybe, maybe I'd go back and give it a shot. 
Um, yeah, I mean, it's definitely, hopefully he's not saying anything crazy. Yeah, I mean, definitely, like, that's one of the other things. It's just he's also, like, tried to, like, a lot Oh, have of, you read that book? Well, I, I haven't. I don't think I've read that one. I mean, I haven't really focused on, like, a lot of the um, questions where he's, like, dealt with, like, a lot of um, answering a lot of the things dealing with, like, you know, the character um, of you know, the God of the Bible mainly, but I know that, like, that's something that um, he's, uh, I know it's something that he's definitely uh, taken as a um, challenge, because, I mean, you know, <laughs> as opposed to most, uh, at least uh, a lot of people, you know, some have usually dismissed it, but he's definitely taken it too hard, the idea um you know, there's definitely hard sayings in the Bible that, um, and so basically, I mean, but I haven't really looked into, um, but when you, when you say if you were, and I haven't forgot about you, Michael, it's your time. It's your turn to respond uh, in, in a minute. I want to say hi to Ramon or Ramon here in a second, but, um, it was to responding to Chris about, uh, you know, why there's like 95 to one liberal theologians. So. We're still pinning that. But um, when you say you would be a Christian like Boyd if you were going to be a Christian again, um, you know, I would say keep in mind that Boyd would still say the same, the ultimate Christian point, uh, just the way that, you know, whoever you're like, I would never be a Christian like them would say it. So they would definitely differ on lots of stuff. But, but as far as like the gospel, like the must-haves to be saved, the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus, like he would believe that just like someone you would think. Oh, I yeah. will never be a Christian like them. So I would say, you know, consider that it's, um, you know, it's not the different Jesus as it's the same Jesus. Um, everything else can be different, but the same Jesus, same gospel. Um, yeah. I mean, I definitely would agree with that. Although he would disagree with like a few other things. Like he's definitely like, he advocates for things like annihilationism, um, which has become more popular, um, at least in evangelical circles from what I know. Um, and well, uh, yeah, stick around. We'll we'll keep talking if you want. I actually didn't know that either, but um, that he that was his position. Um, I, I have questions. Does he advocate for it, or is he like this is absolutely Nate, it? Nate, Boyd uh, he, would not consider Boyd a Christian. Like, yeah, just oh, like, okay, why? Well, yeah, so many questions. But hang on, I want to move on to Ramon or Ramon sure. real fast. Sure. Chris, if you're the judge of heaven, like straight and narrow would be even like more straight and more narrow. I have a feeling, but I mean, we can talk about that in a second because mm -hmm. I'm curious. Yeah. But Ramon, God's Ramon, mutable. Ramon, did you have a question or topic? You have to unmute. Let us know if you unmute. Okay, Michael, did you care to respond to uh, the 95 to one liberal theologians and Chris's case for it, which I I agree with. We agree on that. <laughs> Um, no, everything Chris said was garbage. Um, no, I just messing around. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, it, it, it's funny. I don't, I don't have the, the numbers, so I, I won't comment on something that I'm ignorant on. I, I don't know what the numbers are. So it wouldn't be fair for me to comment. My, my hope would be, uh, naive as it may be, is that people in search of the truth will search for the truth regardless of what the truth is and regardless what their preconceived notions of the truth might be. Uh, is that naive? Maybe. Yes, but that is my hope um, too. That is my hope, and that is also naive. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Um, no, no, but I, I, I think it's, um, 
Oh, I just wanted to, uh, if uh, if it's okay with you, Nate, and I'm going to do it even if it's not okay with you. just want to drop a, a shameless plug, if that's all right. Uh, tomorrow on the, the Canadian Atheist, Dr. Kip Davis is coming on, so that'll be fun. Who's that? Uh, he is a, uh, he is a um, specialist in the Dead Sea Scrolls. Oh. Um, well, cool. Uh, where can we find your uh, demonic podcast? <laughs> I'll, uh, well, it's, you can find a link in the in uh, in my bio here. Okay, so if anyone wants to hear that, check that out. Um, Ramon, you you unmuted. Were you speaking now? Oh, okay, it must be a clubhouse bug. If you're trying to speak, we don't hear you. If you leave and come right back, that usually fixes it. So uh, just just leave and come right back, and we should be able to hear you then. Uh, Saint, what's up, Saint? Do you have anything this morning? Yeah. <clears throat> so the Bible on divorce. Like, I was asking Muslims to give me one thing that Muhammad taught that was better than what uh, Christ taught. And they... The only thing I've heard so far is that the Bible gives, or the Quran gives instructions on who uh, females can divorce, but our Bible says we can only divorce a woman if uh, she commits adultery. What's the question? Then, so, like, so, like, it doesn't seem like it's very clear at all on on that, but I'm just looking for insight. As as the Bible or Islam? Yeah, like from the Bible, like for so like Christians, like tons of Christians get divorced and all like for no reason. And the only scriptures I can find are like you can divorce her for adultery, but is there any cases where? Because I was even asking the Muslims, so I was like, so you're saying that if a woman chops off her husband's two legs, he still has to stay married to her. And he was saying no, but I didn't really have any good answers. Yeah, well, I mean, if you follow the letter of the law, then yeah, pretty much, I, I mean, maybe there's like abandonment um, or whatever. Um, but I mean, yeah, pretty much adultery is it. Uh, I mean, if they just disappear on you, then I, I mean, I guess if you can't find them, don't know what happened. Um, you can assume they left. You don't know if they're alive or dead. But, I mean, really, adultery is it. So if it's not adultery, yeah, it often goes to, what if my husband is beating me? Which, why is it always the husband that's the aggressor? I mean, you know, women beat husbands too, just saying. But if, if someone's, like, beating them, they're like, well, are you saying I should, I'm not supposed to divorce them? I mean, I'm supposed to stay there and let them beat me? No, get away. Separate. But don't divorce. And then, you know, I mean, that's why you see Christians, like, getting divorced every day. They'll find their way to justify it. So if they're like, oh, well, you know, there's an exception for this. Where's that in the Bible? Well, I can't find it, but, you know, there is. God knows my heart. Fine, do what you want. But if you if you want to follow the letter of the Bible, specifically, I mean, pretty much adultery. So unless they're cheating on you, then, yeah, don't stay around. Don't subject yourself to, you know, your wife beating you or husband beating you. Get away. Get safe. Get out of there. Um, but don't divorce. Just remain separated and single. You took a vow till death do you part. Um you know, for, for life. So that's it. If they're, um, if they're abusive, if they're bad, if you can't physically be around them because of your safety, um, don't be. And consider that your cross to bear for the rest of your life, you know, get involved in church and dedicate all your time to the Lord. Just like Paul says in the first place, 
would have been better if you could just not be married and dedicate all your time to God. So do that if you want to follow the strict biblical interpretation. If not, then, you know, justify it however you will and do what you want. What do you say, Chris? Are people who get divorced not true Christians? Yeah. I think people make all kinds of mistakes all the time. But Nate, can I ask a question about that divorcing and not true Christian thing? Uh, yeah, and then I think Ramon has his mic fixed. But yeah, go ahead, Rob. If if you're following your advice, like if someone said, "Yes, I'm a true Christian, and I'm going to do this," um, aren't you saying that basically your your finances are going to be forever tied with this person that's abusive? Your finances are going to be your children are always going to be like just as able to be taken by this person at any given time to go do whatever he wants. So. Like if if you don't have the legal reason to stop them, they're always going to be like taking your money, taking your stuff, taking your house, because that's what they have the capability to do legally in a non-divorce situation. Yeah, that's a great point. So like Chris said, you know, people make mistakes all the time. So is this just like a mistake or does someone call it a sin? They don't know. They feel convicted. Maybe let's just say they do call it a sin. Is there no forgiveness for this? Well, yes, there is. So, you know, what's what's the intent? Are you thumbing your nose at God? Are you questioning? Do you really not know the answer? Are you conflicted? Do you go ahead and do it anyways, thinking it, it sh could be a sin, it could be wrong? Is there forgiveness for that? Uh, you know, there's all kinds of things. And just like you said, like, you know, I don't even think, um, you know, the state should be involved in marriage. I mean, if the state wants to do it for state stuff, great. Um, but, you know, does that involve a biblical marriage? Um, are we putting authority in the state to marry us or God? Um, which God would be a higher level, but for legality, then it's like, well, you know, I'm married in the sight of I'm married in the sight of God forever, um, so I'm not going to remarry. Uh, but I, the state is irrelevant to God anyway, so yeah, I'll get legally divorced as far as Caesar is concerned, as far as the government is concerned, for all the reasons you just said. Um, but because I will honor my commitment to God, um, no, I won't remarry. Um, but then there are plenty of Christians who, you know, um, still do remarry, um, and they got divorced for not adultery, but they still remarry in the eyes of God too. So, um, yeah, I mean, only God knows the heart, only God judges, and there is forgiveness for sin. But I, I would say it is definitely a mistake, and it should not be done. Uh, but if it is done, like, you know, the Bible says, you know, we shouldn't sin. But if we do, we have an advocate before the Father. So if someone says it's, oh, just a mistake, or it's a sin, or uh, whatever, um, it's not like that's the make or break in sending someone to hell. Um, Ramon, did you get your mic fixed? Uh-oh, we still do not hear you. Uh, you may just have to ask your question in chat in, or say whatever you want to say in chat. Yeah, in chat, he says he couldn't speak. In chat, he said he didn't get his mic fixed. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, just ask in, uh, ask in chat then if you want. We'll address it that way. I'll keep an eye on it. Uh, Concrete, what's up? Yeah, I actually had to restart uh, restart Clubhouse. It was like super glitch for me today, too. Could be issue. Nate, what's going on? How you doing? Um, you know how you go to your favorite restaurant and they know your table and they like immediately, oh, hello, Mr. So-and-so. Uh, let me bring you to your table. So that's the kind of like um, reception I expect. And I expect you to sit me right next to Chris at all times. Uh, thank you. you see that Always there. welcome. Well, if you want to be set next to Chris, you'll have to show up immediately before or immediately after he gets here. Because I have no control over that. I can sit you at the kitty table, though. 
<laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, Michael, you were saying? I just, Clubhouse was glitchy for me. I had to quit and uh, restart it. Oh, again. okay. Was, oh. Yeah. There's issues. Um, there seem to be issues today. Mr. Mon says, Nate, what is the moral obligation of the state? I guess that's his question. Uh, well, uh, which state? I guess the the federal government in the United States, or I don't know, Medicaid state issues. Like they will. That's a good question. I mean, I, that's not an area I'm super versed in, but I know they would say some things like we have child protective services. So would say if the state, for whatever reason, um, deems that uh, you know they can't let their parents stay in a household because it's unsafe or it's dangerous. They will take them and they will take that obligation. You could say that's moral, even though I think they do a lot of things for immoral reasons. But you could say that would be a moral obligation they take upon themselves uh, to raise other people's kids who they deem unfit to raise themselves. Um, things like that. They Then they would provide basic health and services and uh, you know education. That's. I mean, I guess you could say that's kind of like moral or quasi-moral obligations they take upon themselves. But then I think, you know, a lot of immoral things happen for sometimes. And anyways, that, I mean, that's my best guess. Anyone else, Michael, you may, even though you're in Canada and maybe you would have a better take on that. Like, you know, what's the, how would you, what would you say the moral obligations of the state? Uh, the balance of mental and physical health and well being of people unable to care for themselves. Oh, were you asking what I, sh- what I think the moral obligations of the state should be or what, how how life just is like what yeah can you clarify that yeah i I mean i i think in a perfect world the state should have no obligations uh because there wouldn't be enough money to fund anything that got that far away like i think the state should have enough money to like you know have a military and protect the country and maybe some basic infrastructure and then let everyone else do what they will so i i don't think the state should have any moral obligations because they shouldn't have the funding to do that the funding should belong to the people. <laughs> I, I got a good way to make that happen. Uh, proportional taxes and uh, tax the churches. Money problem solved. Well, money problem solved now because, uh, you know, we're, we're not going to have any. Like, they're, they're on their way to, you know, making sure everyone is poor as heck. Um, except, you know, the, the, the people leading the state. Funny enough. Um, we may not always have electricity, but they will. Come on. I, okay, so... That's no, come on. That's true, though. He's not wrong. Okay, so okay, so my wife is in the forty-eight percent tax bracket. I am in the forty-two percent tax bracket. Okay, I still manage to take some vacations and uh, own a house, pay my bills, and all that other stuff. Oh, uh, yeah, Michael, I wasn't speaking directly to the taxation, uh, even though it's theft. I, I was speaking more about, uh, you know, our at least our current crazy world over here seems to be that people are making artificial crisis after crisis. And, you know, they're they're like threatening all these things that they themselves are ushering in like, oh, massive cyber attack. It's coming. It's coming. While like they constantly get caught, like doing, quote, training exercises. Um, and anyway, that that was more my comment. It was a little more tinfoil hat than just taxing, which is theft. <clears throat> Um, it, it, Nate, basically, you, you don't they, they create. They hang on. What was that? Hang on. What was the Soul Asylum song? Uh, we create the cure, or we we create the cure. We make the disease. Like one of those things. Like I, I think they're trying for whatever reason 
to basically artificially mess up a bunch of stuff, whether to get on digital currency or do whatever they want to do. Um, they're basically killing ma and pa stores and like shutting down like local businesses to prop up these massive conglomerates, probably because they want to just move it to digital currency. So that that was where my comment was going. So okay, you don't you don't really believe taxation is theft. Um, I, I mean, I can be well. Taxa, taxation without representation is definitely theft. Definitely theft. So with that, I would agree. With. It's a little with, with representation. It's a little less that, but that's just in ideas because you know, once upon a time, when when you you know, it was easier to get a hold of your congressman. There were a lot less people. Um, it, it was a lot. It was a lot more tangible. But now it's like you know, occasionally I will write, uh, you know, to my congressman or to my leaders, even at a state level. Like these people are not that busy with state issues. And I have not once in my life got anything back other than like an automatic email reply. So uh, at this point, if I was Try voting for a Democrat, but don't sorry, that was low. Uh, and, <laughs> I, I mean, you know, anyways, um, but yeah, so so I would say at this point, am I really being represented? Like if my views aren't being acknowledged, my questions aren't being answered. Um, how much can we really say we're being represented? Everyone like Congress has like a six percent. Or 30%, uh, well, it's really low, um, approval rating. So the people who are being, quote, represented feel like they are not being represented. So, I mean, at this point, I mean, you could say, yeah, kind of kind of theft, very much on that line. Nate? Oh, sorry, Nate. Sorry. That being no, said, I love my government. No, 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 I'm happy go, to pay taxes. I'll give, all, I'll give all my money to you. Um, I love, love you. Go Biden. Okay. And, and you go. I've, I've talked with. Yeah, I was going to bring up a totally different topic. Is that okay, or are we? Are we... Please. Yeah, go ahead. Save before, us. before I get myself in trouble. All right. Let's go, Brandon. Wait, sorry, sorry. Dark Brandon returns. Sorry. Before you go on to that, I wanted to ask a quick question because on that topic of uh, politics, politicians, so on and so forth. Do you mind if I jump? Kick, uh, yeah, quickly. Kick that one. All right. Uh, has it like I was thinking about like educating the consumer or the voter, so to speak. Has anyone ever heard of a book that goes into like detail about local politics, like the most grassroots politician and then works up the way to the federal presidency? Has anyone ever seen like done an examination about how uh, about what that politician does, how that voter can interact with that politician and then further up the food chain? No, I've not. Anybody? Anyone else? Uh, second question. Do you think a, such a book like that would be helpful or interesting to the average voter? Such as, we when we talk, because I think what happens is when we talk about politics is usually on the national level or on the state level where you feel least involved with the process, but yet those are those are like the most important people, right? The ones who who direct your state or your or your your country, but you're 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 obviously not as heard as on a grassroots level. So that's why I was thinking, if somebody were to show the different levels of politician, that would help to show when the Democrats are most useful or when the Democrats fail, and vice versa. You get what I'm saying? Um, yeah, and uh, to, for some low-hanging fruit from Michael, I'd say Democrats useful never. <laughs> um, okay, oh, but uh, I, I would say because 
<laughs> well, I want to get to Ed. But, um, yeah, I'd say, well, to the average voter, no. The average voter is dumb as rocks. Um, you know, say abortion, say, uh, say a couple trigger words, say LGBTQIA+, um, and that's, that's the average voter. But say Bud Light. That's what they care about. Um, say something about money or economics or life savings. What? Huh? Um, I trust my representatives and know what to do. So the average voter, no. Um, however, I think what you're saying, Concrete, I'm hearing a lot more of it. People are talking about like local governments and, you know, we need to start. Um, they're advocating for starting to re really get involved in local politics because, you know, that, that's what affects your day to day. Like especially the school boards and the medical boards and, you know, the people in your counties, your cities, local government. So there is a lot more of a push to that. And, uh, you know, to j step up, to run for office, to run for, you know, a county elected official positions. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I think more people are starting to jump on board and I am hearing more about it. Um, I hope it's not too little too late. But, yeah, I think that is beneficial. And I think we're starting. At least I'm hearing more about it. So, yeah, get involved with your local community government. Uh, Edwin. Hey, OK, here's the question. Um, had a good talk about this yesterday with some other Christians. Do you think it's possible that a child of God, and this is, I'm not, this is not a joke. Do you think it's possible for a child of God to make God laugh? Now, my position is, we had a difference of opinion yesterday. My position is no, because I think la laughter is endemic to creatures, and I think it presupposes a lack of knowledge. Someone who is omniscient, you can't make them laugh. But that's just, I'm not... I can be persuaded else uh, otherwise. Anyone have any thoughts? Uh, yes. Uh, can you? Let me okay. let me quickly persuade you. So um, there's movies I've seen a thousand times. I know what's coming. I am omniscient to the movie. Um, I still laugh every single time it happens because it is just hilarious. Secondly, um, Jesus was God. Jesus is a person. Jesus probably laughed. Don't have evidence other than you know he lived for three years. He, by all accounts, seems like a pretty normal person in his day to day. Um, so Jesus probably laughed, therefore God laughed. <laughs> okay, well, you know, I, I hear what you're saying. We, we, we talked about that yesterday um, about it doesn't necessarily apply a lack of knowledge, but, but often, but if you watch that same movie like every day, eventually it's going to get tiring, right? You're going to laugh every time. You, is it always just as funny when you watch it if you watch like every day? Well, that's that's moving the goalposts, though. So, so all we need, okay. all we need to know is God can laugh, um, even though He's omniscient. So, if if God laughs once, knowing mm -hmm. what's going to happen, that's the equivalent to you watched a movie once and you know what's going to happen and you laughed. So it doesn't matter how many times you've watched it; if it loses its comedic okay. value, as long as it happens one time and you know what's coming, then you're omniscient to that and you've laughed. Okay, so you think I could tell? You think it's possible for a child of God to tell a joke to God? Let's say, let's just stick to, to, there's different kinds of humor, right? So let's say, do you think it's possible for me to construct a joke that, that God, omniscient, would find it funny? Well, let me put it this way. Even Maybe if he knows a, the punchline. Even if he knows the yeah, punchline. That's right, okay. uh, <laughs> right. But you're, 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 you're talking, there's different types of comedy, right? Yes. So, um, so you're setting up as a joke. Um, let's set it up another way. So perhaps the, uh, the guy on the Titanic, um, who's like, this ship is so great, not even God can sink it. Um, maybe God was like, ha -ha, oh, yeah? <laughs> um, and then, you know, they run into an iceberg. Not that God commanded it, but still happened. So uh, maybe, maybe something like that would a little, I mean, maybe a little dark comedy 
or maybe like the prophets of Baal who were like cutting themselves and doing all kinds of other stuff. And God's like, <laughs> wow, yep, I saw that coming, but you guys are nuts. Woo! And then Elijah kills them all. Um, so, I mean, maybe that's a little dark humor you weren't looking for, but there's different kinds of comedy. So yeah. not necessarily a knock-knock joke or, you know, why did the prophet of Baal cut themselves? Ah, so Elijah could kill him. Um, anyway, so I, I'm going to say, um, yeah. I mean, if we're creating the okay. image of God, we laugh, we have comedy, we have humor. There's no reason to think God wouldn't um, unless he's like, I know this is coming. Uh, uh, I don't find it funny. But we, it's, well, it's kind of like we as creatures, we learn. doesn't mean God learns. We know God doesn't learn, right? We learn because we're creatures and, it's in, you know, we have imperfect knowledge. I know, I understand, you know, the point about, you know, you can find something funny even if you know the, know the punchline, you've heard it before. Uh, but it's all predicated on knowledge, hmm. though. And I'm saying you can have yeah. full knowledge. Uh, yeah, like your whole argument is predicated on knowledge, and I say that's a non-issue. Because you can have knowledge, like as demonstrated, and still get a kick out of something. <laughs> I, I hear you. The, the final question, which Jeremy, I hope he doesn't mind me mentioning, I thought this is a really good question. I've never thought of this. It relates to humor. I don't know if he's in the audience, but um, he was saying, you think God could make a joke that every human being found funny? <laughs> we all found it funny. I mean, I said yes, he would have to, but what, what do you think? And what would... <laughs> it's not the most critical questions. It's just kind of a, a philosophical, I guess, question, kind of semi-theological, deals with omnipotence. But I thought it was a good question. These are interesting thought experiments. Um, and then I, I just want to see what Tony has to say. But um, I, I would say he, I mean, he could, like in the same will as he, if he wanted to force people, but he doesn't force people. So he could, yes, if he wanted to force everyone to robotic laugh, he could. But, uh, you know, will he, in, in the sense that how things are set up now, um, I mean, Chris may still say yes, but I would say no in the sense that everything is how it is now. Because, you know, if he was going to do something that would make someone laugh, well, presumably he would just do something that would make everyone saved. Um, so since he's not going to do that as it is now, again, not that he couldn't, but it's like he won't because reasons. Um, so I would say in that paradigm, no, he, he wouldn't be able to tell a joke as it is now that would make everyone laugh because that, I mean, that would include people like, you know, who are avowed anti-theist people who are like currently mad at God. Like, I don't care how funny a joke is. If, um, you know, if you're, if you're like animus and hate someone and they say something that you darn well know is hilarious, you're not laughing. So, um, you know, there are people who certainly feel that way mm -hmm. about God. Um, so, no, I would say unless he, he like, forces them to laugh, no, that's not going to happen. But, but, that is interesting. Okay, no, but, but the thing is, though, I hear what you're saying, but, so for example, God wanted to kill off everybody. He could do that hypothetically. He has all yeah. power over... I mean, person. like, the flood, sure. Yeah, Same so he can, he can terrify everybody if he wanted to, you know, if he wanted to scare everybody in the earth, he could do that. He has the power to scare me, terrify everyone in this room. Yeah. All human beings. So... Since humor is a you know a creation of God, I would say you know we're made with a sense of humor. I would, I would think that he would ha have a maybe. I would think he would have the ability to create a joke that we would all find funny. I, I had never thought of this. I thought it was pretty fascinating. Well, what would I'm curious what that joke would be. Uh, but I don't know. That's it. It's not the most uh, important questions. But it was kind of a something to tickle the brain. That is, that is yeah, for me, the funny thing would be if he made the rock so big he couldn't lift it. But, he, yeah, he can't do that, though. That, uh, he can't. <laughs> nah, he's all power over his creation, so if he created a rock...
you know, he can't create a rock so big he can't lift it because that would negate his uh, omnipotence. So. Uh, well, Mr. Stark, what's up? Have you built a new suit? Are you speaking? Tony. Three, two, one. Steph, have you made God laugh? Have I made God laugh? What do you mean? I don't know. I'm sure that God... I was God... asking if people, if God can laugh. I thought maybe you'd... What's up, Steph? Well, How's your morning going? Be... Do you like my dog's Crocs? No, I don't, first of what? all. I think someone needs to revoke the man card. I said that in the chat. Second of all, of course God laughs. The inventor of humor would have to have a pretty darn good, you know, sense of humor. But can you... That's the thing. I Well... But for me, look at what... But most novels, most not most humor presupposes a lack of knowledge. Like somebody, let's say somebody in the room right now started to use some deadpan humor, right? And like, hey, that was funny. We we laugh at it. It's because there's an element of surprise, unexpected. They're look, they're giving us a perspective on something something that we've never thought of before. So that's kind of like tickles the brain, tickles the funny bone. We laugh, we laugh at it, right? So a lot of humor, I think, deals with in. in a lack of knowledge presupposes a lack of knowledge, right? Maybe not all of it. I understand. I can see that not always, but I think most of the time it does. No. Well, I mean, he may not laugh at that because he's like, "Yeah, I, well, no, I'm, I'm still saying my argument." Because even if you know stuff, it still it still makes me laugh. Um, back to defending my dog Crocs. Um, so on one hand, yes, I get it. Haha. <laughs> on the other hand, um, I mean, it is, it is hilarious and it makes me laugh. By the way, I knew what was going to happen. I, uh, case in point, I knew I was getting my dog these ridiculous shoes and, um, I'm like, this is so hilarious. <laughs> and then I put them on him and I'm like, yep, I knew it was going to be funny and it looks ridiculous and awesome and funny at the same time. Ha ha ha. However, Steph, I did it because my dog likes to run. This thing has unending energy. So I take him on bike rides. I'll like ride my bike lazy and he'll like run next to me. And we, I mean, we went like five miles the other day and he's still like, you know, I, I gave him his water and he rested for a minute. He was like jumping like crazy. Like the, the th guy still had energy. He was ready to go. I'm like, okay, we cannot keep going like this anyway. So because we run on a lot of pavement and pavement and stuff like that and gravel, uh, you know, his feet get, can get tore up. So I'm like, okay, it's practical that he gets some kind of padding for his feet because, you know, dogs were never meant to run on asphalt. Um, and he is. So anyways, um, they solved the problem. I accept your repentance and apology, Steph. Uh, yeah. I mean, I guess if I lived in Florida, I wouldn't get a dog then. Like where I am, the dogs just run the hills. It's fine. That's how they get their exercise. But if you, you know, if you think it's fine that you have a dog on pavement who needs to wear shoes and that's a satisfactory <laughs> life for a dog, then you can have your crack. Oh man! So I mean, I just that's for like an hour of his life. He doesn't wear shoes right now. So I just actually looked at the picture, Nate, and your your liberal <laughs> cuck card is in the mail. Like, I mean, Thank on. you. Thank you, Michael. I, hey, I am I am confident enough in you know myself that I can do this and not feel bad about it. So wait, I want to tell Daniel something real quick. Daniel just came in the room. Daniel. I wanted to tell you that in the room last night when you got thrown out for the spaghetti comment, I fully appreciated it, and no one else you know. laughed. <laughs> so thank you, Daniel. <laughs> what was the spaghetti comment? I can't even repeat it. You had to demon. be there. <laughs> yeah. 
He was arguing with Gavin. Wait. Uh, never mind. Wait, Nate. Can I, can I dress with you? Can I dress your, dress your dog pic? <laughs> yes. All right, so the reason why that's funny, because it's kind of incongruous, right? You're putting two things that we generally don't see together. Dogs with Crocs. I, never, I don't think I've ever seen that. So it's kind of it's kind of amusing, right? But if I had, if everybody was posting pics, I don't know, their dogs and Crocs, since we were little kids, it, it wouldn't be funny, do you think? I don't know. That was like a thing. Well, before I ordered these, the reason I ordered these was because I, I saw the website and I probably looked at like 50 to 100 dogs dressed in these things. And, um, yep, still when I got mine, I knew what was coming. But, I mean, you know, by the way, I dress for the occasion, right? There, for everything, there's a time, right? There's a time. There's a season. Thanks, Solomon, for that. Um, so when I had my Rottweiler, my 120-pound Rottweiler, you know, he was in like a spiked collar and like a, a chain. Um, and now I've got like a little, like, you know, 20-pound terrier. So um, you know, there's not really a way to make him tough, so we'll just go the other way. Yeah. Have you ever You're... thought about um, naming your Rottweiler Cerberus? Oh, I have a picture. I, I don't, I can't get it right now, but I made a Cerberus out of him when he was a puppy. Um, I, uh, yeah, I, I, like, photoshopped him, like, three of his different looks in his head and one body, and put him in, like, uh, it, I was playing World of Warcraft at that time, so I went in the um, Molten Core. And uh, took that screenshot, and uh, yeah, I, I photoshopped him into the molten core, and uh, yeah, as a little Cerberus, it was hilarious. Gotcha. Yeah. I've so thought, yes, uh, I uh, have thought about it. I thought about like um, I thought about getting like my cat like sharing like all the sleeve where it's only its legs and its head, where it's like <laughs> just nothing but hair. So, oh gosh, I've done that too. And wow, I great minds think alike. And I thought about naming it Mufasa. Uh, I, I did that. I shaved my cat, uh, except yeah, the head and like, uh, what? Well, yeah, right, really just the head because that was a tough part. But it looked hilarious. It had a big poofy like lion mane on it, and uh, it was ridiculous. Yeah. Instead, I just named both of my cats Gall. Well, my poor animals. I probably Gotten. shouldn't have. Probably shouldn't have animals. Steph, what do you have? A bunch of just wild feral like dogs. Uh, no, I have one Beagle Yellow Lab mix, which is barely a dog. That's like my, my borderline for it not being a cat um, because she's she's 38 pounds and I think 35 is my cutoff. Anything below 35 is a cat. And then I have two Angora rabbits that produce wool. And then I have a fat, lazy, useless cat that I got in college. So. Oh, are, are those rabbits the kind that are – or no, no, those are Flemish that get like 30 – like massive, like 30 or 50 pounds. No, they, they get the 15, so they're pretty good-sized rabbits, but with their You're talking wool? about yours, right? What? You're talking about yours. Talking about what? You're talking about your rabbits. I, I For a minute, oh, I was yes. thinking they were like Flemish rabbits, which get like 40 or 50 pounds. They're massive. But then yeah, I'm like, no, no, no you said not. Angora. That's Angora rabbit that you have. Yeah, and, but they look big because they have tons and tons of wool. But then no. when you shave them. They're like, you know, they're the size of a cat. They're like 15. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Okay. So do you shave these Angora bunnies? Yes or no? <laughs> well, um, Chad does, but yes. Okay. So do you yes. spin the wool in a loom? Do you? Yes. Do you then make yarn out of the wool? Yes. Yes. Or yes no? I, I do. Yes. Okay. Well, do, do you, you, have, do you, you have a loom? I, do you have a loom? hipster. So first you have to cart it and then and clean it and get it all facing the same way. But uh -huh. then, yes, you can spin it or a much less efficient way is to use a little handheld dowel thing. 
yeah. So do you own a loom? I don't. I don't own a loom, but I would love do, to. If you have a lead on one, you, let me know. Do you make clothing items from your <laughs> rabbit? Yes. Yes, I do. Yes, you it's do. very what expensive fiber. Okay. Oh yeah, this is what, this, so. What? So Nate, what you're experiencing here? There's like hipsters, and then there are <laughs> hipsters. <laughs> And what Steph is, is demonstrating to us is not just the Evanescence thing, which, you know, she's got her PTR today, but peak hipster. Like, I mean, wait a minute. This goes way beyond Starbucks. Starbucks is not hipster, please. Um, Now, not to get too personal, but does Chad wear skinny jeans? Uh, Uh, No. So here's the thing. I have married a authentic redneck who would never be caught in skinny jeans he doesn't use technology all of his flannels are 30 years old um that and and he doesn't go to the doctor like i guess he passes as a hipster but he's actually just super redneck fair seems like it's it's, it's, seems like a little outdated redneck if you ask me because i think all the updated rednecks are wearing skinny jeans if i'm not mistaken (laughs) and they're doing a little rapping so. That could be true. Yeah, a little rapping. Wait, rednecks <laughs> are rapping? Okay, now you have to. Rednecks are rapping, ladies and gentlemen. We need to see a YouTube of this. Not that uh, I disbelieve rapping rednecks. Look up all the country rap that's coming out now. That's the focus. It's like hip hop country. Uh, there we go. Confirmation from Nate. It's like anytime you gamble, the smart money's on skinny jeans. <laughs> Oh, I think that, I mean, uh, I, I mean, weren't rednecks like the original skinny jeans? Like, you know, butt drunk. Oh my God, Michael! Oh, sorry. Ah, like <laughs> weren't rednecks like the Michael. original skinny jeaners? Like, you know, with wranglers that were like skin tight, like no, 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 no. Those were straight leg, straight leg. Regardless, those things were tight as heck and made me uncomfortable seeing people wearing them. Yeah, so, so Nate, if you need a if you need a rundown on anything hipster, Steph's gonna be your go-to. I mean, if she's got Angora rabbits that she's spinning wool from, I mean, <laughs> well, wait, one last question. Or am I Amish? Question. I'm trying to lead towards Amish. Less hipster, I mean, more Amish. Could be, but okay. Next question: Raw milk? Are you a raw milk enthusiast? No, I drink almond milk. All right. Oh, all right, you're on my side. How do you milk great. almonds? Are there, are there you special almonds? You take your juicer, or? you put the almonds in the water, you soak them for a while first. It, it, it's not, you know, that's how. Almond milk's great. I like it. But I have a question for Nacro. So, considering my haircut, which Eastern religion did you think I belonged to? Uh, <laughs> yeah, so I was debating between Buddhist and Taoist, um, but... I guess I would say Buddhist. Uh, no. Nope. Fundy Christian. Hey, can we revisit quickly? The, the I don't know. You don't, you don't strike me as a fundamentalist, personally. Yeah, you'll hear in a minute. But that weird haircut reminded me. Um, back to the conversation with Chris and Michael about liberal scholars. And it's kind of like, you know, um, how, can, how can someone who's not tell me about my beliefs? And, um, you know, to a certain point, you can say, well, I'm, I'm not a Christian. Here's your book. I read this. Therefore, I'm telling you about your belief because I can read. But like the deeper insight of it. So when we're talking about like liberal scholars and PhDs and theologians, for example, I have a neighbor 
who has her, her PhD in divinity um, or theology or something. Uh, and it was from a, I forget the school, it was like super cringe. <laughs> um, worse than me saying super cringe. I was going to say but, 14. But, or like, yeah, yeah. I have kids. Um, I think sus is, is sus out already. Oh, I lost my kids. Anyways. I learned a new so one the other day. Th- so this, this liberal theologian would maybe tell you something about the Bible, but on the other hand, they also have magic workshops and how healing crystals can, you know, restore the balance of your chi and energy. So that's the type of person, not all, but for example, that's one of the type of people you would be bringing in to tell Christians about their religion and their Paulian letters. Um, and then you could also get a quick magic course from them. So, um, I, I, yeah, I wouldn't be comfortable having some, you know, someone with that type of pedigree, um, you know, weighing in on my fundamental, you know, conservative Christian view and then being like, yes, that's just the same as like, you know, my, my conservative theologian. Anyway, just forget about bringing that up earlier. So, okay. So a couple things first, sorry about the background noise. I was grocery shopping. Uh, second, it sounded like you were reorganizing your dominoes. That's what it sounded like. <laughs> yeah, no, I was I was pushing a grocery cart through the through the uh, um, parking lot. Um, second, what's wrong with Steph's hair? Um, I think. It, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's I. Yeah, I mean. It looks eastern, whatever. I guess. So is it? So Steph, is it cut that way? It's not. I have a totally normal haircut, and I pin it to one side often, and it's naturally curly. So that's yeah. No, I didn't shave one side of my head. Okay. I mean, even if you did, so like, who cares? Um, but, but, uh, Oh no, just to, we were chatting in the chat and Nakaro had said in the chat that, um, he, he, I don't think he had known who I was. And he said that judging by my PTR, he thought I was an Eastern. We were just trying to figure out on a scale of one to 10, how hipster stuff is. And we came up with the uh, spinal tap version. (laughs) The 11. Oh, 11. Okay. Yeah. But, but the, the other thing that I thought was interesting is uh, the, the comment about country hip hop. If you want something that will trigger the apocalypse, that's it. Well, it exists and there's no apocalypse. Dude, did you see what Charles Johnson just posted in the chat? It is well. <coughs> worth it. Who sorry, are, are we referring to like to to country hip like that exists? Why do you doubt me? Yeah, man. Country like, rap. Go yes, look in the it? chat, Michael, right now. Like, uh, didn't this start like 15 years ago when What's-His-Face did the thing with What's-His-Face? Big and Rich. You know, no, no, before that. there Was um, was it Big and Rich? Who was the rapper? Nelly. Nelly did the, the mashup. Tim McGraw. Yeah, Tim McGraw That's and it. Nelly. Thank you. That was yeah, more, more hip-hop. I mean, to be 100, uh, just speaking fast and rhyming to a hit beat is going to be rapping, whether or not it's uh, country or urban or Japanese, right? Because they've been rapping all over the world. Yeah. Oh my god, I mean, my li- wife like my wife likes BTS, like the Korean boy hip hop band. It kills me. She has no idea what they're saying, but she's like, "It's so good." I'm like, "This is so." Just insert any word that's not oh, flattering. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I think most modern music is. I think most like modern of our kind of today music is is abject garbage. Um, I, I oh, used to listen on, to, I, I don't even know who that is. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was, I was raised on, on Metallica. Um, yeah. but you know, I, I, yeah, 
um, I used to listen to, to a fair bit of rap and I still have some on my phone, but it was like, you know, public enemy and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, yeah it, we, I mean, you, you said, you, you said Tup- Nelly. Tupac was genius. Yeah, for sure. Um, but then you said, you said Nelly and somebody else. What was the other name that was Nelly and something? Tim McGraw. I've never, yeah, I don't even know who that is. Oh, that um, was like a thing. They did this mashup and it started this like rap country crossover fad. Yeah, I think and most mashups should like, just be potatoes. Now, now you've got like what, like uh, Luke Bryan, Florida Georgia Line. Who's the other one? Um, um, um Jason Aldean, kind of. Yeah, these people. And while you're googling that, also Google Flemish rabbits. That's everyone home, everyone's homework. Google Flemish rabbit. Yeah. And then, then also Google Joseph Boys. He was a German artist, um, and he had a lot to do with rabbits. And I, I especially am talking to Steph right now. Steph, you really, really need to Google Joseph Boys, and we need to have a art chat about what you find. Oh, art. Yeah. Uh, Michael, yeah, the same music I listened to growing up and, like, in college and stuff is the same music I still listen to. I don't listen to anything new. Like, occasionally I'll, like, try some new station. I'm just like, this is awful. And, I, uh, yeah, so, I mean, I've listened to the same music for, like, 30 years i'm like my dad i'm like dad why don't you like my music in like the 90s he's like no son that's garbage i like this i'm like oh my gosh i am my parents well i mean like there there is stuff that i'm glad i found like like i'm glad i found stuff like you know stone temple pilots and Soundgarden. and i was fortunate to see chris cornell in concert before he died Um, yeah that's the stuff i still listen to because i listened to it in high school (laughs) i mean because his his voice was just his voice is haunting um but, but yeah, I, I can't, and it's funny because my, I mean, my wife is only two years younger than I am, but she listens to quote unquote popular music now. And we get into the car and she puts the radio, she puts the radio. I'm like, what, what is, what is this absolute trash? I can't handle it. And yeah, I know I sound like just an old man, but yeah, I'm, I'm very much, you know, like the, the best music was was made decades ago. Yeah, that's why. I mean, I think the only yeah, I, th- I think the only new stuff I listen to is when it's on like a commercial or like you know if I'm if it's like a part of a movie I'm watching if there's like a, a cameo or something. But I think one thing we could all agree on and then move on is uh, Lizzo is stunning and brave and the best music of this century. Yeah, and that's I, mean, I, I don't know who is she, that is, is either. Is she even an actor or does she do music? I, I actually don't even know. Does, is she a singer? Is that what she's supposed to do? That was a joke, guys. That was a she's joke. a pop a artist. Email. Okay, and I actually women, don't even know any of her songs. Yeah. Women are yeah. as you can guess, as you can guess by reason that Michael expressed. Yeah, as you can guess by my PFP. I mean, my favorite, some like kind of my favorite old music. I don't know that you guys was psychedelic. So, uh, Tony, are you speaking uh, yet? Did you get well, your Well, I have a conference call. Hopefully, it'll be fast, and I'll come back to you guys. Because I want to, I got, I still have like seven more jokes for stuff. <laughs> I know. All right, let's invite some people. If anyone wants to jump on stage, jump up here. I'll be back. In- All right, James, you say uh, satanic music is the best. Um, well, therefore, jazz is not satanic. Eh. Uh, you know, our, what would you call like satanic music? Like motionless and white, kind of, or like cradle of filth, or would you just say that that's not like? Do you do you want people to identify as satanic music? Or just basically say everything satanic music would say without actually saying it. Or maybe Cradle Filth does, but I don't know. Or there's like Daimir Borgir or something, some like foreign band. Oh, no, Mer- he's a cheerleader. But I mean, I would say even if we're saying like motionless and white or something, like 
they just seem like they're grown up teenagers that are just maybe not posers. They would be posers, but they've taken it too far. Like they've, they've adopted it into their lifestyle, not because they are that thing, but because they've pretended so long. Now they are that thing, which is not an authentic thing. It's just their entire life is a facade. Like I bet they listen to show tunes in the shower. Did you ever see um, like Manson's interview with Bill O'Reilly? No. Oh, it was so great because it's like Bill O'Reilly, like he's at, he has Manson whether he had sexual intercourse with another dude on stage and then Manson said to a certain degree, to a certain degree. We're losing people. <laughs> oh. Okay. Who's got something? Uh, I don't know. Um, hmm. Yvette? Yeah. Oh, Any questions I, on your mind? I just wanted to say something about it. So no. when you to... I always like talking yeah, about why Calvinism is wrong or why Paul is Well, Necro wrong. was saying something. What, so, Necro? Yeah, so I just wanted to say, um, like, when you guys were talking about the uh, pets, um, like, with your dog, um, I said, like, the only dog that I would get would be a bulldog, and I would name it Vito. Like, because I feel like if Marlon and Brando were a dog, he would be a bulldog. That's a fact. Welcome, Charles. What's up, Charles? What's on your mind today? Hey, hey, how's it going? Yeah, I wanted to ask since the music thing uh, came up. Uh, you know, I grew up <clears throat> in Baptist and then uh, Pentecostal. And so uh, I, we were very heavily influenced by the satanic panic in the 80s that went into the early 90s and all of the rock music was evil and uh, if you play the record back was this a demonic incantation you know that kind of uh what i what i understand now to be kind of really paranoia uh where did where did your religious background draw the line as far as uh the type of music that a christian could listen to was secular music okay or did you draw the lines in a very conservative or very liberal way i'm just curious you know that's a good point that makes me think of something else like satanic music like i i mean if there's if there's satanic music they're like yes we are our lyrics are geared towards the dark one then i mean i guess you would say well that's satanic music but i think satanic music like someone brought out lady gaga and i'm like you know what that's not wrong because you wouldn't think of like you know a lot of these like pop artists and just like mainstream people or rap uh, rap people that their music may may not overtly say anything about Satan, but when you look at some of the weird crap that goes on with different people, like that have come out in documentaries, and they're like, you know, we did uh, we like did occult practices, or we like, had witch covens come in and bless our performances, or bless our CDs, or pray over our albums with their whatever. I'm like, you know what? That could be more satanic than saying like, hail Satan, ah, death, murder, war. Um, so I mean, I think a lot of these people, like you know, if it sounds like just nice like pop or you know not not like evil or bad lyrics that could be way more actually satanic um you know than than something that would be like uh you know the devil's gonna eat you ah, or something like that so that point but yeah i, I kind of grew up um a little bit during that time charles but i think i was i was younger than you um, i would have been like a, a kid to going into a teenager so like my parents they were never that strict about music like you know they they if you asked them they would have said they're strict but also um I mean, I, I just kind of listened to like some church music. I had like a, the CD church music club and it was awful. Like I couldn't stand Christian rock back then, not church music, Christian rock. Like I liked church music, like actual worship music sounded way better to me than like lame, cheesy Christian rock. Um, 
great stories have been made. So I'm happy about that. But um, the, the most thing I did was like in middle school, like, you know, I borrowed like some Metallica CDs um, from, from friends and, you know, my parents heard it. Don't even know if they knew what it was. Um, they just knew it wasn't Christian, but they didn't really say anything about it. And, you know, I like to think I, I turned out maybe okay. Um, that's, that's my thought when it comes to my, my kids. Um, I try to police like, you know, what I said about the Lady Gaga thing or someone else said about Lady Gaga. Like I, I want to be careful and like kind of look behind the scenes. So not just what they're saying, but like, you know, are they actually like, you know, like, uh, you know, Machine Gun Kelly. Right. And, um, I guess Megan Fox, is that who he's dating? Like, you know, they were talking about their music. And she's like, yeah, and sometimes, you know, we're just listening to his music. And, you know, we're just like, because it was so crazy. The question some reporter was asking was like, um, there's been there's been conspiracy theories about like you guys drinking each other's blood and each other's blood and doing like weird rituals. And she's like, oh, I know. <laughs> it's not what you think, though. Like, sometimes he will like listen to his music and he'll just like grab a beer bottle, like break it on the counter and like cut his chest. And I'll just like lick it with my tongue. So it's not bad. It's not what people are saying. Ha ha ha. And they're like, what? No, that's what people are saying. That's exactly it. And she's like, they're like, that's what we're talking about. She's like, Oh no, you misunderstood me. It's not crazy. He'll just like slit his chest and I'll just like drink his blood. It's it's not what you think. And they're like and the reporter's jaws dropped. They're like, No, that's exactly what we think. Holy crap. So I'm like, uh, yeah, I, I would probably want to check into my kids' musicians um a little bit more. Like, you know, they like Taylor Swift and crap like that. I think they've outgrown Taylor Swift, thank God. But um, yeah, that's that's my stance. I would want to know more than just the lyrics, like, you know, who's behind it, like to the best of my ability, are they doing any like weird, crazy crap, like having witch covens bless their album release? Yeah, I think it's interesting you uh, talked about the Christian rock and how cringy it was. Um, you know, the, the, it's interesting. The singer for uh, Creed, Scott Stapp, he's asked about uh, whether you know he remembers like how uh, how his music, how their music inspired the Christian rock stuff. And he's like, yeah, I guess. <laughs> I like him as a person more than yeah yeah you bet. Um, I just thought of it right now. Um, there I I've I've been <clears throat> I've heard of uh, people say uh, online um, that uh, Jesus <clears throat> on the cross got what we deserved, uh, uh, so that uh, we can get what he deserved deserves or something like that. Um. Does that mean like we receive what Jesus deserves because he fulfilled the you know the law or like he completed it or when he walked this earth two thousand years ago is is that what they mean or Steph, or you want to talk something else? Oh, um, I mean that sounds pretty sound to me. I don't see so so Jesus fulfilled. Uh, he was the ultimate sacrifice, right? So uh, he made it so that we no longer needed to be under the law. It's a new covenant. And so uh, I think that's a kind of a charming way to put it, that he got what we deserved, uh, which is pretty horrific. Uh, and then we got what he deserved, which is, um, you know, being washed of our sins and being presentable to the Father. So that's how I would take that. Thank you, Steph. I agree with Steph. Well, uh, Tony, I see your mic's off, but we don't hear you. Or if you're trying to speak, it's uh, the clubhouse bug has been going around. So usually, if you leave and come back or reset the app, 
that will fix it. Um, otherwise, just type your question in chat and we will address it that way. And um, I was going to say something else. Um, and and we get what Jesus deserves, which would be called, that's why it's called grace, right? Because we're receiving something we don't deserve. That's what grace is. Yes. Um, okay. Unmerited favor. Oh, oh okay. I see. I, oh, okay. So that, that means like... Um, that we get what Jesus deserves uh, is would be the the new covenant. So it's under the new covenant that we get what Jesus deserves. Just to complete that, thank you. Sure. Anyone else want to weigh in on that or anything else? I had such a good question the other day, and I can't remember what it was. Hold on. I'm going to think of someone else go. Sometimes you can't get them to stop. Other times you can't make them speak. Your, uh, your study was well-received yesterday. Lots of people like that. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty horrifying. It was good timing that we had the atheists in here to have the discussion. But I've been thinking about it. I'm... I'm still quite disturbed. Uh, it was the... it was just funny. I couldn't believe like people yeah. don't want to name her name. We're pushing back so much, which I get the sentiment, right? It's like at arm's length, it's a little easier. Like, hey, if people you know love each other and you know they don't want monogamy, then you know let them do that. Uh, me? Uh oh, no, my husband better not shoot me. I'll, I'll kill him. No, 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 not me. But if other people want to, okay, sure. In theory, yeah. If other people want to, great. But then you you go to the other people. And they're like, oh yeah, those other people, but not me. He better not cheat on me. But the other people, okay, well, hey, you're you're other people. And so it goes. And <laughs> anyways, just funny. Uh, Jamesy, welcome to the stage. Hey, good morning. Um, I'm happy to take questions, but I, I have one. I'm curious, what, what does it mean to say that Jesus was the second Adam? Like, what what, what does that actually mean? Like where Adam was the first human who came and failed? Jesus was the first human who came and did not fail. So second Adam in that sense. And the Bible goes on to say, you know, through through Adam, uh, through one man, the whole world basically fell. And through Jesus, the second Adam, basically the entire world can be redeemed, whoever wants to. The covenant theology would uh, say that Jesus is the second Adam because uh, they both were trying to keep the covenant of works, Adam through the Adenic covenant, which, you know, is thou shalt not eat of the tree of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was a covenant of works. And the Mosaic covenant was a covenant of works. And then the covenant of works has two heads, one Adam and one Jesus. The one head failed, but the second head kept the covenant of works. Uh, does that answer your question, Jamesy? Yeah, I, I suppose it's just it, it doesn't feel like that's what it's saying, but but I accept it as an answer. What do you feel like yeah. it's saying? Well, I, it sounds like some kind of a weird equivocation. Like it, it seems to be taking the divinity away from Jesus. Not at all. Could it also mean that? 
you know, Jesus, like as the scripture says that Jesus was the firstborn and then others would, you know, would come after him, like uh, children of God. Um, could it be that, like, you know, the first Adam being <clears throat> spiritually dead and then the second Adam being made spiritually alive by being a child, becoming a child of God, being translated into the kingdom of light. Could, could that also mean that? I don't think so. I think it's just as simple as Jesus broke or Jesus fixed what Adam broke. Like that's, that's the whole thing. Well, I mean, in Corinthians and Roman, like it's, it's the same thing. Like Paul's just drawing a parallel when he says, yeah, I mean, just like Steph and I and whoever else, if there's someone else, yeah, Senate. brother. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a yeah, brother. It's a parallel. I mean, Adam, you know, messed everything up. Jesus made everything right. I did. That's it. I think That's I have a good question. Way of putting it. Like, I have kind of a question of like, do you have any uh, theory of atonement that you um that you subscribe to? Any theory of atonement? Yeah, because um, I don't know if you're aware of like um. There's many different theories, like there's penal substitution, uh, there's moral exam example theory um, as to like what is exactly um, the significance of Jesus being. Um, oh, sorry, hang on. Uh, real fast, I, I just wanted to wrap up the other point. Give me one second. Um, so like in Corinthians, James, I don't know if you're talking about Romans or Corinthians, but in Corinthians 15, uh, here's here's the passage. Let me just read this. I think this will shed some light. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, the last Adam, a life-giving spirit, Jesus. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural. And after that, the spiritual. The first was a man of dust of the earth, the second, a man of heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth, and as is the heavenly man, so are those who are of the heaven. So, yeah, it's just a comparison between the difference, con juxtaposing, um, like that art term stuff um, between Jesus Very and uh, Jesus and Adam. Uh, but yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry about that. I just wanted to clear that up before we move in. Was that, who was that? Do, Necro? do you think, oh. hold on real quick. Did, do you, do you think Jesus had a choice about his actions? Like, could he have not? Yes. Yeah. Like the Bible says it. I mean, the Bible says, you know, even on the cross, like, you know, he, he says he's doing the will of the father and his whole, his whole purpose is about the father's will and, you know, not his will, but the father's, but you know, when, Peter jumps up and tries to like, you know, fight the guy for the sword and says, you know, you're not going to, uh, you know, don't take him. And when Jesus rebukes him and says, get behind me, Satan, because Paul, uh, Peter says, no, far be it from you that you're going to die. So there's multiple times Jesus is confronted with a, with a choice. And then Jesus says, no, we're not going to fight this way. He says, look, I could call legions of angels down to basically eviscerate everyone and no one's crucifying me. So he says he could do that, but he says, not my will, but yours be done. Um, and then he says, no one takes my life, but I willingly give it up. And he says, because I lay my life down, I have the authority to pick it up again. So, I mean, you know, we don't even need to interpret like Jesus just flat out answers your question. So he says, um, you know, I willingly give up my life and lay down my life. Uh, so, yeah, Jesus totally had a choice. And thank goodness he made the choice he did. Would a Calvinist agree? Yes. I mean, they'd agree with, they'd agree with the, the verse I read. <laughs> yeah, I would agree totally. Yeah, a Calvinist would say that that Jesus, like, okay, so, and, and I, I don't think this is a Calvinist, uh, non-Calvinist issue. Like, they would say that God, Jesus is God, right? So then anything that Jesus would choose or decree would be 
you know, that doesn't conflict with what they believe. However, they would also say that the father and son have will in alignment. So I think that, yeah, that's what everybody would hold to. Okay. So like if Jesus would have not died on the cross and accepted like kingship over earth and then like the universe explodes, like how, how would that pan out? Like it doesn't, that doesn't. No one knows. We'll never know. Well, yeah, maybe maybe God would have created a new planet. Maybe we would have created a whole different species. Like we, I mean, maybe we would have created things not in the image of God. Like I mean, we can we can hypothesize about that for for eternity. There's no way to know. Maybe he would just be like, no, I'm gonna invent TV and watch it, and you know, somehow make people act be actors with their maybe make the angels put on a Shakespearean type play. Like I mean, we we have no idea. Uh, hey, Courtney, what's up? Hey. I, I know there's someone else asking a question, but I don't recognize Courtney, and I like to talk to new people before we scare them away. So what's up, Courtney? <laughs> How's your day going? It's going good. I've been in Bible study this morning. Um, I, I don't know who it was that asked the question, what uh, theory of atonement do does the room subscribe to? I said PSA all the way. Um, I actually have a debate coming up with uh, Sean Griffin on this. Um I think penal substitutionary atonement actually, which is PSA, uh, actually encompasses all or, or the totality of scripture, whereas some of the other um, atonement theories take parts or bits from PSA, but drops the penal part, the the punishment part, right? So I think uh, it's all pretty relevant to the conversation with, with regard to what we find in Isaiah 53, where it's, it's qualitative. It's qualified where God says, if you will make your soul an offering for sin. And this is the question that the the person just asked with regard to whether or not, you know, Jesus did this. Was his will to do this? Um, did he choose to do this? So, yes, he he chose to do this. Right. God didn't like force him. He, he said, if you will make your soul an offering for sin, which is the asham, the guilt offering found in Leviticus. And if you study the guilt offering in Leviticus, you see that it is related to sins against the holy things or against God's holy things or against God himself. So I think it's, it's, it's all very relevant. I agree with that. Yeah. Whoever asked the question, did you have a follow-up? Um, yeah. I mean, like, I mean, typically, like I would say, like, I mean, the only thing like with penal substitution that many people, at least, um, particularly ones who, I mean, Catholics will complain about is that, um, it's actually like historically um, is something that is relatively new because it carried on uh, from Calvin uh, was the first person who coined it. Um, but yeah, it's like the predominant view of most Protestants today. Um, I think the problem that most people have with it is really just the idea that, you know, specifically that God needed to punish somebody who was innocent necessarily oh well yeah that would come from you know exodus 32 so the lord says in exodus 32 he who sins against me i will blot out now in context we're we're seeing the image of the golden calf and we're seeing the idolatry the the foreign worship etc so on and so forth and so um jews would actually interpret this to be to be like directly because it follows that directly discussing idolatry however that's not the hebrew word that's used the, the word that's used is actually just sin it just says he who sins against me 
and idolatry is a sin, but idolatry is a different category of sin. So there, sin is broken up into categories. So you have you have um, pesa or pesa. This is great. you even have great transgressions, which pesa is translated as transgressions. You have iniquities, avon. You have chet, which is sin. You have multiple various types of sin, which seem to indicate different levels of quote transgressions. And so here we just have the blanket statement from God that says, "He who sins against me." I will blot out. So if you get, you fast forward, David says, you know, don't blot me out, you know, blot out my sins rather in Psalm 51. And why did he say this? Because he committed a sin um, in which the Torah or the first five books of the Hebrew Bible gives him no way to return. So in other words, when you commit adultery, the Bible doesn't say, hey, when you commit adultery, I need you to go sacrifice a lamb and bring it to me. The Bible doesn't give it them any way to return. But if you, if you, um, you know, do a, a stealing, you, know, you can actually bring an offering for that. I believe it's in Leviticus five in an English Bible, maybe Leviticus or no five in a Hebrew Bible and six in an English. Don't quote me on that. But so these are different categories. And so within the different categories, I, Exodus 32 just says sin, which would encompass all categories. So the idea that God will blot you out for sin is evident in the Torah. And then he goes on to say of himself, the character of God, that he visits the iniquity of the fathers onto the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate him. So there's that part where Adam sinned and we are punished for that. And this is something we find all over the Bible. Our fathers have eaten sour grapes, but our teeth are set on edge. And you see the proclamation of Jeremiah 31, where the one who restores us, that will no longer be. It's, I think, a Jeremiah 31, either 27 or 29, with regards to no longer will you eat sour grapes and the, you know, the fathers do and the children's teeth are set on edge. And this is because it's all reversed by Christ. Uh, and keep in mind, like, it is, well, hang on real fast, because it's it, like, Necro, I think you mentioned it was a Calvin thing. This is way before Calvin. This is like a before first century Christianity thing. Like, right. I think this is like at the at the Last Supper, like Jesus. Um, I, I maybe there's a couple passages. I don't know if it's all around the same, but it's around the Last Supper when Jesus predicts his death. He says, "Without the let's see, one of them was Hebrews or no, it was in one of the Gospels." But Jesus says, "Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin." And then around the time of the Last Supper, he says, "You know, um, I like basically I'm going to be uh, I'm going to be." I need to find the actual verse. Courtney, do you know it? The actual verse, it talks about like one man's sin is going to provide forgiveness of, or one man's death is going to provide forgiveness of sin for many. I'll find that verse in a second. But yeah, like the forgiveness of sin. Yeah, that'd be Isaiah. Sin. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, yeah, I thought it was around the last uh, supper, like one of the gospels. I'll, I'll keep looking for that. But yeah, the point is like, this has nothing to do with like Calvin. It has nothing to do with 1500 years later. Like this has to do with like before acts, like before, you know, people were first even called Christians. Without the for, uh, shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. So uh, right. yeah, go I'm going to find that verse. Yeah, Hebrews 9.22 says, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. Um, it's, a, it's not a direct quote. It's actually a explanation of what you find in the book of Leviticus, where God says, don't eat the blood. Why? Because I've given it to make atonement, which the Hebrew word there would be kafar. I've given it to make atonement for you. Right. So he's saying the purpose of the blood is to be a thing which atones for you. And so he then goes on to explain for the life is in the blood. So this is the idea of a life for a life. 
right? This is, so if you, you really kind of have to break down the Hebrew words to understand this. And yeah, certainly Calvin was not the first to come up with this. Maybe he coined the term. I mean, we have people that coin new terms all the time. Does that mean that the, the idea didn't exist prior to that? No, it just means the term was coined. And yeah, it's Matthew 26, 28. And it says, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for, for the many for the forgiveness of their sins. So this is before Jesus even dies. He talks about this. So yeah, go ahead. Whoever's talking. Yeah. yeah. And so like, I just want to follow. Um, yeah, I guess really like for most people though, I guess the question, like, cause they don't doubt. It's really just that there's something that needs to be paid. The question really for most people is who is it being paid to? Is it death? Is it to Satan? Is it to, god um because if it is the case well it means specifically penal substitution uh was the case that it's you know he was being paid to his father who's offended um by injustice against his standard that he had um the question at least most people would have is why would uh satan have any power or anything like that necessarily yeah and that's kind of that's kind of my my issue with some of the other forms of atonement right like ransom theory um you have moral or christus victor right that's that's one that a lot of people christus victor is very similar to psa it just drops the first half of psa and so these theories are i think the only one that is all-encompassing is PSA. PSA is literally pretty much all of the others minus some few little bit of verbiage in the, the others. Like who is the ransom paid to? Well, the, the ransom is, is to God. Why? Because he is the controller of everything. And sure, we have Satan, which is often called the God of this world, but that that's just in reference to God meaning power, right? The Hebrew word for God means Elohim and Elohim can mean powers. And this is why Moses was called he, that he would be an Elohim unto Pharaoh. He would be a power unto Pharaoh, but by God's divine providence. And so the, the question I think really comes up, not because it doesn't make biblical sense, but because it really just offends people. I think PSA offends people. Like it doesn't make sense to me that I would be punished for something someone else did, as if this doesn't exist in American law. It certainly does. You can be punished for withholding um, information for, that would be relevant to a case, or if you aid in a bed, you could be, a, even if you're aiding in a bedding by just turning a blind eye, allowing someone to sleep on your property, and they're, they're being, you know, um, chased by the federal police. You know, there's, people act as though these are biblical issues of, of, of morality, but they don't even understand that we still apply these things here today. And it's just the way that it is. I mean, you, you can't live amongst other organisms, bacteria, humans, dogs, animals, and not be affected by another person's decisions. I mean, that's just the way that it is. And if people don't like it, they should just move to Mars and live in a bubble. quick. <laughs> What does it mean uh, for teeth to be set on edge? I think I tried to research it, but I could never get like an answer. What do, what do you think it means? I'm sorry, I did not hear the question. Uh, for teeth to be set on edge. Oh, oh! It, so you ever eaten something sour, like acidic? It, give you a good example. Grab a lemon or an orange even and bite into it and just keep eating oranges all day. You'll learn very quickly what it means for your teeth to be set on edge. It's kind of like biting into an ice cream 
with sensitive teeth, it hurts. So in other words, they eat grapes because grapes are, you know, sour or can be. A lot of the stuff we grow today is very sweet in comparison to the, the stuff that they would have grown in the past, um, like sweet corn, things like that. So you, you bite that and you eat on it all day and your teeth start to hurt and, and get set on edge. And you're like, ah, it's zinging, it's hurting. So in other words, they enjoyed their sin, but we enjoy their punishment. Got it. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Courtney, I don't think we've met before. It's nice to, nice to meet you. Are you are, do you often work around the circles of Clubhouse? Uh, yeah, so I, I joined Clubhouse, I don't know, it's been, been some months ago. But it just seems to be very repetitive, the same arguments over and over and over again. It's like every room is the same Unitarians battling Trinitarians, <laughs> and it's 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 old. I don't like that. So it just it, I'm, I'm you know old, yeah. you know I get that. I mean, I mean I, we we've all like all of us like you know Steph even Michael who's an atheist and Jamesy who's a, like, a Satanist have still heard what we're about to say a lot. But I'm like you know it does get old, uh, tiresome. But you know I I am. Um, I, I think like as long as I keep bringing it back to the gospel, you know, even if someone doesn't believe it, they can still hear the number one point Christians should be talking about, um, even though that's repetitive. Um, you know, they can still hear it a lot. <laughs> so whether or not they'll ever believe it. So like whenever it's like just nonsense, like, you know, deep solipsism, like was going to happen yesterday. Like I just roll my head. Talk about teeth on edge. That's me whenever that comes up. And yeah. I'm like, I don't care. This is like, you know, the B Bible talks so much about this, right? And it's like Paul talking about like, you know, thinking of those wives, they became fools and don't trust the, the intellect of men. Don't touch these. Don't worry about these high sounding philosophies of men. Uh, worry about the power of the cross of Christ. And then whenever you see this in practice, it's like, you know, people are like, oh, well, what is this? And they use like every big philosophical word. And they're just like puffing these arguments up. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. Like, do you not see you are what the Bible is talking about right now? And I'm yes. just like, repent and believe the gospel. And I'll usually, anyway, so I thought, well, okay, well, every time it starts to go that or like Unitarianism or stuff, it's like, let's entertain that. Let's run through the repetitive meal and then be like, okay, now Jesus, repent and believe the gospel. And you can hear the gospel over and over and over. And then maybe someday years from now, they'll be like, oh yeah, I remember it's ingrained in my, like neuro pathways are created from these Christians talking about this Jesus and the gospel a thousand times. So I guess I take solace in that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's just, it's, I, I counter, I, I do counter, uh, anti, I counter anti-missionary work. And if you don't know what that is, that's Jewish non-believers that started basically a Kiruv movement, which is that they want to pull Jews that were forcibly conversed or, um, converted years ago to Jesus. They want to pull them back out of the church and bring them back to Judaism. But the issue with that is they aren't at only pulling Jews out, um, and at that point, they're Christians, so I care about them. They're a part of my fold. Um, they're also pulling Christians that have no Jewish history, no Jewish blood whatsoever. They're fully Gentile, and they're pulling them out of the church. They're turning them against Jesus, and they're making them little converts and little minions. And so I counter that work, and I'm probably one of the few that actually do this. Dr. Michael Brown is a scholar that does this. He's been doing it for years um, he's the big head out there, um, but I'm the smaller head, I guess you would say. I do I do that work, and I do it on YouTube and here and TikTok. But um, yeah, so for me, the gospel is important. I just don't care whether it's Trinitarian or Unitarian presented because I understand why both believe what they believe. And and if that's all we ever talk about, I have nothing to say, and I just leave the rooms. And so that's why you've probably not seen me very much. Oh, well, good to good to meet you, Constantine. What's up?
Yeah, yeah. I, I'm going to have to leave here in just a second, just, but yeah, go ahead. Uh, I, I just came in, so uh, you, you guys were talking about atonement, so I kind of have a question. Uh, as a former Christian and a, an atheist now, um, so the the idea of substitutionary atonement is kind of based around sacrifice, which uh, you know, animal sacrifice, which is was common throughout you know different cultures, and it kind of depends on the you know your view uh, of the universe where uh, God presides, uh, you know, over the earth and uh, in a heaven above, and so you burn something. It kind of anthropomorphizes God uh, in, in terms of you know I like food. And so I'm going to give God some food, and the Bible talks about kind of the smoke uh, coming up from the sacrifice and God enjoying that smoke, so he's like having a nice meal, that kind of thing. And so, the, you know, when Jesus came along, I mean, uh, obviously his followers thought he was the Messiah, but he didn't, he didn't look like a Messiah because he, he wasn't the type of Messiah that uh, the Jews expected. You know, Jews expected a king that would rule and uh, would defeat the enemies and reestablish Israel. Obviously, Jesus, Jesus didn't do anything like that. He was just, uh, you know, a criminal that was, uh, you know, uh, convicted and uh, tried and uh, crucified by the Romans. So he didn't fit that, that idea. And so at some point, you know, early Christians came up with, well, the way he is the Messiah is he kind of is this, this ultimate sacrifice. So we used to sacrifice to God, and uh, he enjoyed our sacrifices and the smoke that's rising up to the heavens so he can smell it and, you know, have a nice uh, feeling about it, I guess. And, uh, you know, now we have a human sacrifice. So Jesus, he didn't reestablish the kingdom, but he, uh, you know, he paid, he was the sacrifice instead of an animal. Now we have a human that kind of uh, atoned for our sins, and it's it's a bizarre idea. I mean, it's uh, I I don't know you know how how that can be accepted from a moral you know uh, modern moral framework. It just doesn't work. You know, I don't want any human sacrifices for you know for uh, for um, any offenses done to me. You know, I don't want an eye for an eye. I don't want if somebody you know kills. Uh, you know, my relative or something, or my, you know, close person to me. I don't want somebody dying, you know, somebody else's relative dying, you know, in, in revenge. You know, I just don't think revenge is a good idea at all. I think it really anthropomorphizes God in a, you know, in a very kind of pre, pre-modern sense that God has the same emotions as us. He requires revenge. He's offended. And so we need to kill somebody to, uh, you know, to... Uh, make up for uh, that offense. I mean, that idea just doesn't make any sense to me at all. I understand what you're saying. I'd say a lot of things. Let's see if I can remember them all. Um, okay, so first of all, are we anthropomorphizing God, or are we the antithesis of anthropomorphization because we are created in the image of God? So there would be that. Um, and then secondly, you know, we're not told like it was revenge. We're told it was justice, like you do a crime. And, you know, some people who are averted to the death penalty or, you know, pacifist or whatever, um, you know, they, they, if someone kills like your family member, you may not want them to die in return, but you probably wouldn't say, here's money, go free, continue living. You would probably want some sort of what you would consider justice. Maybe that's a time in, in prison. Maybe that's, I don't know, a really stern talking to by a therapist, but you probably would want some version of what you would call justice. So even if you didn't want them to die, you, you probably wouldn't just say, hey, that's fine, you know, go free, kill some more of my family members, that's fine. No well, one would probably say that. Um, why is it Stop, 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 stop. Hang on. Don't, I don't want to lose my train of thought. He said a lot. I'm trying to stay on track. Um, and then we're also told, like, from the, a lot of people, like you said, you used to be a Christian. I'll take you at your word. But uh, I only have, like, two more points. Um, 
but we're told from Revelation 21 that this wasn't like, I don't know if you even brought this up, but just to cover this base, like this wasn't like, you know, this happened, Adam sinned, there was animal sacrifices, and then now God has a really good idea. It's going to be Jesus in the form of God being sacrificed. We're told that, you know, from Revelation 21, Jesus was always from the foundation of the world before anything even existed. Jesus was always going to be sacrificed, and this was God's plan. Mm -hmm. So I say, I say that to make my last point, which is if we talk about like God, which you, you were kind of on this revenge thing which is just for any orthodox traditional Christian understanding, it's not revenge, it's justice. You do something against God, there's a price to be paid. For whatever reason, right there is a lack of understanding because the Bible doesn't explain the mechanics. And if we're talking about the Christian paradigm, the only place to get information about this God that we believe is accurate is the Bible. So if the Bible doesn't even explain how and the why, and we're talking about revenge versus justice, clearly, you said you don't understand in this modern, modern day morality, Forget that. We just don't understand as humans all the mechanics and inner workings of God. All we know is, if true, under the Christian paradigm, God created everything. He is the ultimate person, the creator God in control of everything in existence. And this God says, I require this, and this is going to happen. So I'm sending my son. He's going to be sacrificed. He's going to willingly allow himself to be put to death. He has the power to raise himself to life again. And anyone who believes that confesses Jesus as Lord, you will be forgiven. You don't need to worry about why or how. I'm telling you, this is what I, creator God, am doing. So repent, believe this, follow me, and you solve the mystery of the universe. So I would say our understanding is inconsequential. If this truly is a fact, then, you know, get with the program or, you know, you could pay for yourself, which is the Christian version of hell. Um, I would advocate to not do that. But if you want to do that, the choice is yours. Uh, yeah, go mm -hmm. ahead. I was wanting to ask if I could further um, even expound uh, with regard sure. to the fact that I love how you phrased it. Like God all of a sudden got this new idea, like, hey, I'm going to bring this guy named Jesus in. And as you rightly said, Christ was uh, slain from the foundations of the earth. What does that mean? So that means that if you look at what Moses did with the tabernacle, God said, hey, look at everything I'm going to show you. I want you to do it exactly as I stated, and we're told that the sacrificial system, according to the book of Leviticus, is a shadow of the substance, which is Christ. So all it was meant to do was point you to the fact that you needed something, a life for a life, to cover your sins. And now that was always going to be Christ because animals could never take away sin, i.e. clear the conscience of a believer. What it could do, though, is it's like, here's poop on the ground, that's your sin, and here's the sacrificial system of atonement, which according to Jews, the Corban, which is sacrifice of an animal, is the lowest form of atonement. It's the potpourri that you put over the poop. The poop is still there, but the potpourri covers it, right? It just, that's literally what atonement means. It means kafar, means to cover. And if you cover that, it is no longer in God's sight, but it's still there. It's still an offense against God. So the only thing that cleanses the conscience of a believer is Christ. And that was slain from the foundation of the earth. And so the, the sacrificial system was not a, oh, well, this is the starting point. No, Christ was always the starting point. The sacrificial system is the shoe. Christ is the big foot that fits in the shoe. The shoe is meant to show you that there is a big foot that's going to fit in that shoe. It's just an analogy. I mean, it's the schoolmaster. I, I perfectly understand your logic as a former Christian. I, I understand what, you know, uh, you, you know, you talk about the Bible as if the Bible has, you 
you know, one opinion, but uh, actually, you know, different authors always argue on any topic with each other in different books. But anyway, well, I actually um, do think that it's more univocal than, well, than what no, maybe it, 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 it definitely isn't. But that's a that's a separate uh, that's a separate topic. But uh, I understand your, you know, your Christian logic based on uh, parts of the Bible and uh, kind of the development of Christian theology. It just as a modern person, it just doesn't make sense to me. It's it's a very pre-modern concept. Like if, if I look at the justice system, you know, I admit, you know, we all have feelings of revenge. I just don't think those are moral, you know, moral intuition, you know, correct moral intuitions. I don't think there's anything good about revenge. You know, if somebody offends me, yes, I want to cause them offense. But, you know, I try to I try to tone that down because I realize it doesn't lead to any good. What I want from the justice system is uh, for the person, you know, that caused an offense, caused the crime to, uh, you know, to learn not to do it. So okay, I, want, I want a system Please. that improves, you know, improves right, right. Uh, people and changes their behavior. I don't want justice just for justice's sake. I don't want somebody to be put in prison just because I'm offended. Uh, okay, you know, I, I want the prison system to uh, teach people not to commit those <laughs> offenses to the, you know, to the extent that it's possible unless they're psychopaths okay, or yeah, yeah. Can you, something, can, you know. Can you, can you stop for just a moment so we don't get too far? That's a great point. I hear you. So can you force someone to learn what you want them to learn? I mean, uh, to some extent, you can't, you know, force no, you, yeah, you, can't. you can You can definitely put them in conditions where they're more likely to change their behaviors. Like ah, the so twist, today, so, so, so justice, so twist their arm a bit until they conform to the image that you want them to. So justice. Well, I mean, you don't so have to, like, you know, So positive. it seems like you want, really fast, so it seems like you want a God that you want to kind of create in your own image. But see, God says that he, he is just, but he is also merciful. You can't be all just because then you're no mercy, but you can't be all mercy because then you're no just. So the only way to balance that righteous indignation that you may have if someone harms you and your family in the same way, God, you've sinned against him, is to have a salvation plan, which is his mercy, which is why Christ is called the mercy of God. So for you to say you you don't want to harm people, you just want them to go to the the Prison, which is, by the way, is, is justice, um, and then go there and learn. But you can't force a human to learn because we have free will. And so I would say that you have a very skewed idea, and this is no disrespect, but just a very skewed idea as to the way that you believe. As a modern person, by the way, you are affected by modern morality, which has had the last six plus thousand years of biblical morality to lean and glean from. And so I would say that you are basically looking at God going, I think I know better than you, even though yeah, I've learned yeah, what I've learned. Right, but you've learned everything. Hey, hey, hang on, the... sorry, Constantine, hang on, tech point real fast. Um, I, I am going to have to run, Steph, uh, she's on the phone. Um, I was going to see if she wanted to keep it going, but I, I am going to have to run here in just I'm a second. I know you, Necro... brother. Oh, <laughs> maybe, maybe. I, I know Necro did have a, something he wanted to address real fast, um, and then you, you guys can keep talking until I absolutely have to leave. But I just wanted to read something real quick. Uh, quick. So, Constantine, I, I get it. Like, if you think, you know, the, the God that, you know, is fairy tales or whatever, if he actually is real, you know better. Um, this is kind of just to point to the Bible. Um, Joshua 24, 15, this is the same type of conversation a little bit that the Israelites are having with Joshua. And, you know, they're complaining, like, God's giving them food. They don't like this type of food. Um, God's doing miracles. They don't like these type of miracles. God's doing – the point is they're complaining. They're grumbling. And finally – I think this is where I would see it going is Joshua says, look, if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day who you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers or no God uh, served in the region beyond the water or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you will dwell. 
But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So if this God that you don't even believe in, um, it seems bad to you, then do what you want. Um, don't serve anyone. And if you truly want, which I would never really advise you to do this, but I will tell you what we believe under the Christian paradigm is going to happen. If you don't like the idea of somebody else paying for your sins, the things that you know you shouldn't do and you did anyways, lying, stealing, whatever you've done in your life, it doesn't matter. We've all done something we regret. If you want to pay for all of that yourself, then don't follow this God. And that's exactly what's going to happen. But it's not good. So, I mean, I don't know where else we can go. Um, other than I, I, I'm happy letting you and Courtney chat a bit, but I want to hear what Necro had to say. And then I want to find out if I'm going to have to make Michael a mod or if Steph wants to, but I'm going to have to run. But Necro, say what you want to real quick, and then Courtney and Constantine can talk. Yeah, so I just kind of wanted to address because I think kind of the points have been being missed in both of them. And, and, but so uh, basically, though, it's like I think one of the problems with like penal substitution is not just a matter of people suffering, you know, for injustice or things like that. But it's the idea that the only way that things can be made right is through um, an innocent person paying for something else that somebody else said. Um, and so you gave, for example, uh, Courtney, like, like, I guess you're like hinting at like if a judge is like a just judge would not, you know, excuse the crimes that some, that someone else did because... Um, that would be like unjust, but essentially though, it's like basically the problem that I see with that analogy is that the reason why a judge, you know, is supposed to do is because he's supposed to carry out and represent the law that he's been put into place for. Um, and, you know, on the, on the other hand, where God has, is the person who creates the concept of justice. And so it's, it can be whatever he wants it to be. And so if you wanted to be the case that, you know, I forgive you, I mean, that could very well be the case. But um, see, then that would go against. Well, his sorry, just, oh, I'm sorry, I so, I mean, and also like it just, I think a lot of people like including myself, the problem we have, with the moral issue with the, the standard of justice is that it kind of is like, you know, if I were to say if somebody wronged me that I forgive you and the best way to show that, you know, I love you and I want you for, to forgive you is that I'm going to take my puppy and have it killed so that way I can forgive you. I mean, well, well, okay. Yeah. Well, well, I have one question for, uh, I think Pastor Sam's coming. Um, anyway, well, until I get up here, um, I would just say, I said I was done, but I guess I'm not done. So maybe I'm a liar. Sorry. But if you were running in the middle of traffic and it was in my power to stop you from getting spotted and I ran and just threw you and you're like, no, no, don't do it. I want to pay for myself because at the last moment you see you're about to get hit and I'm coming towards you clearly going to die. And you're like, no, no, don't do that. And uh, I'm like, I don't care what you want. Facts don't care about your feelings. I shove you out of the way anyway and I die. Well, you can complain. Maybe you need some grief counseling, but it's done. It's already done. There's no backseats. Like, you can't bring me back. So I've sacrificed. It's done. You, you, you don't have to choose to. I mean, just accept it. Like, it's done. Um, anyway, that's, that's the best I got. I saw Sam was coming up here. I'm going to have to go unless he wants to mod. Um, Pastor Sam, are you up here? Do you want yeah. to mod for a little bit? I have yeah, to run. Yeah, sure.
shout out until okay thank up. you but yeah uh, courtney go ahead it was nice to meet you and uh yeah you guys i i like i like the conversation so i don't want to shut it down but i have to run so um yeah stop it by often and you guys take it away take care everyone yeah it was nice to meet you too go ahead. um shalom uh go okay. ahead courtney uh, and constantine Okay, so yeah, so it just seems like, uh, so for example, in the, the puppy incident, if the puppy had the capacity to say, yeah, you know what, I'll do this, I, there's no problem. I, it's, it's,